Hello and welcome to episode 14 of Bushby and Thompson's Wrestling Adventure on postwrestling.com and I'm Martin Bushby and joining me as with every month is my partner in crime, the main man himself, Mr. Andrew Thompson. Andrew, how are you this month? Um, have you been up to much since uh, the big world transfer window and me and you losing spectacularly <laughs> to James Ian Way? Uh, it's always a pleasure to be back on the pod with you, my good man. Um, I, I'm still I'm still taking in that ill. I, I don't know how to feel about it. Uh, you, you, you know, everybody at Post knows how I feel about uh, cheater waiting. You know, he cheats his way to victory every time. Uh, but uh, of course, shout out to that good man, Jamesy, uh, for his victory, his big return to Post. Uh, but yeah, that overall, in all seriousness, that was a fun show. That was a great thing you guys put together. Uh, and, I, and I'm glad I got to be a part of it. Yeah, definitely wanting to make it a yearly thing. And as uh, you can probably tell by the state of my voice, my head's all blocked up with cold. It's not COVID as I've been going around telling everyone after a few <laughs> negative tests, you know, a bunch of times, just a regular old cold. So apologies if my voice sounds a bit froggy or a bit dodgy this month. But um, Andrew, we've got not one, but two guests with us this month, haven't we? Yeah, we got two guests uh, joining us today. Uh, Chad Gale fan and Chris Jeter. Chad is a writer for the Wrestling Estate, and you can see him contributing for Daily DDT. Chad was also a guest on the 2002 Royal Rumble episode of Butch B. and Thompson that we did with uh, the man himself, uh, Chris Ely, a.k.a. Moderna Chris. <laughs> and, 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 and Chris Jeter uh, is also featured uh, on Daily DDT, Bell to Bells. Uh, you can check out his uh, work. Uh, for for basketball that he covers for the Chicago Bulls and uh, Washington Wizards over at Hoops Habit Hoops Habit um, and the Chicago Bulls are having a hell of a season right now to start so I'm pretty sure we we could talk about that a little bit with Chris um, and I'm expecting Chris not to slander my hometown team the, the Washington Wizards uh, and and if he does he'll be edited out of his podcast so I'm just letting you know that now and uh, I would but 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 Chris and Chad I appreciate y'all coming on um uh, and, and yeah just thank you for uh, taking the time out your day to come do this not a problem thanks for having me. Cool, cool, cool. So, uh, Martin, of course, there, there's a lot uh, that, that happened around this time, this 2002 time period, uh, as you alluded to before we started recording. Oh, yeah, definitely. But um, I couldn't uh, start the show without, obviously, you just mentioned there. Obviously, we're all big NBA fans. And I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts. Obviously, the season's just started. You know, we had a quite a fun uh, season last year. And Chris, sort of like... Um, How's uh, how it looking in the NBA this year and um, sort of like who was your sort of like um, early predictions to uh, do well in the league this year? Um, well, in terms of predictions, I think it's pretty wide open in terms of both conferences. Um, obviously, the favorites are still the favorites from last year, more or less. But um, but it's been a fun start to the season. Uh, there have been some pretty good games. Obviously, uh, that first game with the Knicks and the Celtics was pretty wild, and that kind of set the tone for everything. But, mm. um, but it's been a fun start to the year. I like good basketball. Yeah, definitely. It looks like yes. I've only managed to catch um, a couple of games and a few of the highlights. Um, and Chad, um, sort of, what team are you based in Philly? Are, they, are the Sixers your team? Yeah, um, unfortunately, the Sixers are my team. <laughs> they, they they have had uh, more drama and more storytelling than. Uh, any WWE storyline <laughs> the past few years <laughs> with the Ben Simmons saga. So yeah, it's yeah, kind of soap opera with that, doesn't it? It seems to be, you know, they're always in the headlines, the Sixers, and, you know, everything that's been going on over there. Oh, yeah. Like, you can't go a week without uh, some new drama popping up around the Sixers ever since the process began. Yeah, definitely. What about you, Andrew? Have you been enjoying this season so far? 
Yeah, I always uh, had a games on whenever, whenever I can or whenever I'm not uh, covering uh, NXT or AEW or, or, or another show. But yeah, man, the season's been good so far. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go uh, r- real early on the prediction for the NBA Finals. I think I think the Milwaukee Bucks are going to make it back out the East and they're going to end up in the NBA Finals. I can't call if they're going to win it or not, but I, th- I definitely think Milwaukee going to end up uh, going all the way, especially if Giannis can be very consistent with a jump shot. If, if he can get that thing locked down, he I, I, he's already unstoppable as it is. But if he can really get a jump shot locked down, maybe people have to come out uh, to, to to defend him consistently. He's gonna be an issue. <laughs> that's a scary sight. Giannis scary sight. consistent jump shot. Wow. That that's that's, that's, a, that's a exactly. There's a little bit of it in the preseason. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. That, that, and you want to know what's crazy? That's exactly what Ben Simmons could be. If he, just, <laughs> if, he just, if he just if he just if he just worked on his jump shot, but you know, well, first he got to figure out uh, which hand he's supposed to be shooting with. Or he yeah, mm. yeah, man. Ben, ben is a. Uh, I, I I think the thing with Ben Simmons is he just. I I think it just got to a point to where he just legitimately doesn't want to be in Philadelphia. So him trying to work on any type of his game to help improve that team is not even in his mindset right now. Like he just wants to get out. So, you know, I, I, I think Daryl Moore even said that he wasn't going to trade him and he was going to wait it out and see how it happens because I think he knows how good Ben Simmons could be. But I think Ben Simmons is just checked out. So this is going to be interesting to see how this, fold, how this unfolds. Like, uh, I, I don't think they're going to trade him and I don't think that he wants to play with them. So, I mean, when they paying you $130-something million, like, you know, you, you, I mean, you might as well at least try to give the season a shot, like maybe halfway through. Yeah, just, I, yeah I think you might, might as well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a million dollars, yeah. <laughs> so I'll well give it a go, yeah. <laughs> I, but yeah I like that just... prediction, Andrew. I like that prediction for the books. I know you were uh, early on the books last year, so I was like, yeah. oh, yeah, let's... Uh, you can let's go to the bookies now. He's put a <laughs> put a couple of dollars on, on the book to, uh, to, to repeat this year. <laughs> but I know you wanted to talk. Um, obviously, we had the big um, show in Saudi last week, Andrew. And I know you wanted to talk uh, with Chad and Chris about um, you, you know what happened on that show. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, Saudi is a uh, <laughs> these, these WWE shows that they do in Saudi. Of course, they do not come without controversy. Like you would be remiss not to even. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- th- think or, or or bring that stuff up uh, that, that has happened in, in Saudi Arabia. Um, but there were uh, two two. Uh, it was a King of the Ring crowning and a Queen's crown uh, turning winner uh, coming out of that show. Um, it's very fitting with this show that we're choosing. We're covering King of the Ring 2002 uh, and the 2021 King of the Ring winner is it, none other than Xavier Woods. Uh, he got his big victory, man. Uh, Xavier has openly spoken for many, many years about how this is a accolade that he has always wanted to obtain and that he has been chasing for quite some time and he finally spoken into existence. Uh, Ch- Chad, I'm going to kick it over to you first. Uh, Xavier Woods is king of the ring. Uh, like, like I said, this is just some uh, random accolade to him. Uh, he's been speaking to, uh, speaking about it or trying to speak into his business for many years and, and it finally happened. Yeah, he's been, this is his, one of his, uh, what was it, like three main goals he had? He had, he wanted Kofi to get, uh, a WWE title, and then he wanted to become King of the Ring, and now he's accomplished both of them. So, this is Xavier Woods is like somebody that he like he's made everything happen like by himself. Because when he came in to to WWE, like from FCW, he wasn't like some like big herald of prospect. He had to really like work his way like from the bottom to get to this point. So it's just like mm-hmm. a testament to like to just his creativity and hard work that he's mm-hmm. gotten everything that he set out for. In his W career so far, 
and, and, and Chris, uh, like I mentioned, uh, Zelina Vega, she is the uh, first ever Queen's Crown tournament winner. And this tournament was one that was very underwhelming, to say the least. I think when a lot of us normally hear the word tournament in a pro wrestling sense, we are thinking the matches are going to be maybe 10 to 15 minutes long. Everybody's going to have a chance to go out there and show what they can do. Um, I think the overall time for the Queen's Crown tournament within all the matches was probably like 15 to maybe even 20 minutes like just for every match involved like i don't i don't even think it hit 20 to be honest with you from what i remember but uh just seeing how this tournament rolled out um and how they how how people thought that this tournament was going to be something more of a showcase for the female talent in wwe and it just turned out to be a bunch of quick matches and then to have crowns alina vega and you know it, it just seemed more like a hey let's just find a way to get this queen gimmick on somebody instead of like hey let's present a legitimate tournament to showcase our talent in this division. And it, and you kind of see this as sort of like a, um, a make good for her match being canceled at the MSG show. Well, I think it's even broader than that. It's probably a make good for how they've booked her since they brought her back. Mm. Um, because she wasn't exact because she wasn't exactly on a winning streak or anything. <laughs> announced it. In fact, I don't think she, she didn't win a single match before they announced her for the tournament, which in and of itself kind of just tells you how much uh, effort that they were willing to put into this. Um, in terms of her winning, uh, I mean, we kind of saw the promo uh, last Monday night on Raw. I think she, much like Xavier Woods, uh, is going to do everything she can to sort of make this work. Um, it seems like they're kind of going with a, a comedy heel sort of gimmick, which I guess could work, but in a division that really needs credible wrestlers outside of like the four horsewomen and Bianca Belair. And that's about it. They kind of need to build some other people up, particularly like they don't have Oscar either. She's injured. Um, they've kind of built up Shayna Baszler. Um, but they also kind of use her as a henchman in that, uh, Sonya Deville storyline. So in a time where they really needed to sort of build up the division and show off its depth, the Queen's Crown tournament as a whole could have been an opportunity to do that, but instead they just kind of went, you know, let's just do these short matches and we'll just blow it off at this at this pay per view. It kind of felt more like they were. It felt more like they were trying to go for what they tend to go for with these Saudi shows, kind of the brownie points where it's like, hey, look, we're we're enacting change in this, in Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. or whatever, with this tournament, and it's just, well, if that's your aim. And maybe put a little more effort into it beyond just put slapping some matches together that aren't particularly long, don't have any sort of story, don't have any sort of narrative to follow up on coming out of it outside of just doing a rematch with um with Dewdrop. Oh, <laughs> um and Vega. Um so it was a missed opportunity to say the least. Um I'm happy for that Selena got a, a notable win on pay-per-view. Even though, like, some of that is also like giving her a win in Saudi Arabia, knowing, like, knowing what happened to her father in nine eleven and all that stuff, yeah, which carries its own sort of undercurrent. But it was good that she got a win on on pay per view. Hopefully, they do something to follow up on it. But I don't. The best I can be is cautiously optimistic. For sure, for sure. Hey, and uh, just real quick, Chris, if you had to sort of look at some of the long game of Xavier Woods and his King of the Ring win. Do you see 
maybe a mid-card title win coming out of this? Or do you think he they just, you know, sticking him with a gimmick and, you know, he'll probably just ride that out as long as, as, long as they uh, can get it out of him? I think I'd like to see the former. I'd like to see this turn into a real push for him because I think he's incredibly talented on the microphone and in the ring. And it's something that sort of goes under the radar, teaming with Kofi and Big E. But it's probably... Like I've watched WWE long enough to know it's probably going to be more. <laughs> it's going to be more King Corbin, King Wade Barrett than it is like Bret Hart when he won the King of the Ring, or mm. or even Lesnar. We'll talk about him later when he yeah. won King of the Ring. It's not going to be this sustained push. It's just going to be this thing that they give him to do on television. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up feuding with Corbin over the ground. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see. That is the last thing we need, man. But uh, Madcap Mad Cat Moss, Jesus Christ. But but as Chris alluded to, uh, Brock Lesnar <laughs> did win the 2002 King of the Ring. And Martin, let's let's go ahead and and, and take it back. Maybe what 18, 19 years ago, the 2002, nearly nearly, nearly twenty years ago now, mate. Yeah, God, yeah. I feel like a complete grandpa. <laughs> but uh, it's not, it's not certainly not sort of like the first show you think of when you think of sort of 2002. But a lot of newsworthy stuff in and around the show, uh, outside of the show itself, and um. Chad, you actually picked this one. Is it um, one you've got sort of fond memories of um, from your childhood and stuff? Yeah, this is around the time, like, I really started watching a lot of wrestling. Like, I think my first pay-per-view I remember watching was Invasion 2001. So, like, this time Mm. period is when, like, I really, like, first started, like, forming my memories, like, around wrestling. And, like you said, like, this is, like, a a pretty newsworthy show. Lesnar's, like, coronation as, like, the, the, the next big thing really yeah definitely yeah it was definitely they were pushing him hard in 2002 and um what about you chris have you any memories of, of the show when did you start watching uh, wrestling and more specifically wwe um so similar to chad probably i didn't start watching like fully like regularly until about 2001 around the invasion i saw a couple of smackdowns in like late 2000 because i vaguely remember like angles with Chris Jericho and Kane around that feud where they uh, where it was centered around Jericho spilling coffee on Kane. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so just in case you thought the storylines were contrived now, like, that's how kind of what it comes down to too, at the peak. <laughs> but um, but I started watching a little more consistently in 2001. So so around 2001 2002 was kind of around that time when I started sort of formulating sort of my sort of that's when i really became a fan of it and um i remember watching some matches from this show um mm. and i kind of had somewhat fond memories of it and i watched it rewatched it yesterday and i was like oh I, uh, this is not uh this is not held up well <laughs> <laughs> i was about yeah, to say my, you, you about to say my, but there, there's a lot of uh a lot of news that came out of this show oh well that came out of this show and that happened prior to like you can go early january uh stuff that was happening it was so much leading up to leading up to this and even stuff coming out of this oh yeah definitely well it wasn't just even that it was obviously we're in 2002 now there's no more wcw there's no more ecw but still some noteworthy (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) yep there's still some sort of like noteworthy stuff happening outside of wwe slash wwf Uh, ring of honor at their first event on the 23rd of february with the Era of Honor begins. Eddie Guerrero, who was also on the show, he was um, he was still doing his indie run early in mm. 2002, taking on a uh, Super Crazy, and then they also had that uh, 
classic Chris Daniels, Loki, and Brian Danielson uh, triple threat. They were the two big matches from that first Ring of Honor show. And then uh, also in 2002, saw the formation of TNA with uh, Bob Ryder, um, Jeff and Jerry Jarrett, and then later Vince Russo. And obviously, Andrew, some highlights of those first TNA shows from Nashville, Tennessee, of course, being a bowed up against Ed Ferrara and uh, the Johnsons. I'm sure you've got some uh, real, uh, you know, real fond memories of uh, those early TNA shows. Yeah, of course, when they did the they weekly pay-per-views on uh, the TNA stuff. But yeah, man, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot of good memories uh, from those shows, like primarily like the, the one that comes to mind, like just off top, like without having to really think about anything was when R-Truth got to get the NWA World's Heavyweight title. Like, and, But at the time, of course, uh, like literally when, when that happened, I don't think a lot of people really think about the significance of him winning that title. Uh, but hindsight being 2020 and now people get to sort of give him his flowers and, you know, for being the first black NWA world heavyweight champion. I kind of wish they, they sort of honored that a little bit more, brought it up more. But, you know, I, uh, I think that's kind of see it qu- quite often from, from, you know, people on social media. So, yeah, that, that's probably one thing that comes to mind. Like you look back at the days when CM Punk was on that show and, and, and Raven and like you just look at the, the, the amount of names that came through the TNA Asylum and uh, even Chris Rock went through the TNA Asylum. So then, <laughs> so, so, so there you go. I know that's 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 one of my favorite collaborations in wrestling. Chris Rock and uh, Jeff Jarrett and TNA. That's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. I'm so glad when you asked Jeff Jarrett about that. Um, over in New Japan, we had a uh, John Akiyama and Yuji Nagata headlined the January 4th Tokyo Dome show that year. Um, in all Japan, uh, Keiji Muto taking over as president and having classics with a uh, Kawada and the like, really having a sort of career resurgence in 2002. But um, enough of all that, and on to the uh, actual show itself, because um, obviously. Like you know, there, Andrew, 2002 is very newsworthy in wrestling. WWE with no major competition, even though they've got no competitor anymore, they did see their ratings and how show business drop. Uh, NWO were brought in earlier in the year with the only sort of real memorable moment being the Rock uh, Hogan at WrestleMania, uh, spurred on by the crowd reaction to that match. Uh, Andrew Terry even had a brief run with the WWE undisputed title, and it is funny that. Uh, you know, in the past couple of years, people always say, oh, well, WWE just bringing the old timers to pop a rating. And it seemed they were doing a, a similar thing around this. Uh, it, as much as they were building up the likes of Brock Lesnar, you know, they were still, you know, using people's nostalgia to try and sort of pop pay-per-view buy rates and uh, ratings on Raw. Yeah, put, put, put in the, uh, the world title on Terry and, and, and anything past the, 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 the 80s is, is disrespectful. So uh, <laughs> you go ahead, Chad. You go ahead, I Chad. need to know like the the backstage politicking that went on between Hogan and, and Triple H yeah. <laughs> for that title. Like, I, I need to know the backstory behind that, like <laughs> the channels and, they both went through to make this happen. And and, and probably several months before uh, this show, the the first WWF draft took place uh, in, in March. Um, Chris, I was gonna, I was going to ask you like. Uh, looking back at that, as I mentioned, the first draft and kind of seeing what the draft is now, I mean, it's, it's, it's all the same thing, but like, if you like just things that you can think of, like off top, uh, just off the top of your head, like, why, why do you think the draft, like, do you look back at the 2002 draft? Why do you think that was more so viewed as, as a success in the drafts of today? You can even date back to 2016, like why? Why do you think those haven't been successful for 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 the most part outside of 
uh, when, when SmackDown had that that really solid run uh, in, in 2016? Like, what, what what do you think is the reason why the drafts aren't effective? Pretty much, uh, you say the last two to three years. Oh, because they keep doing them every year. <laughs> <laughs> for for lack of a better response, um, I just think there just there just isn't as much restraint. I think with the 2002 draft, the reason why it worked so well is because well, one, it was so fresh; they hadn't done one before, mm-hmm. so it was first. So it being the first one, you didn't know what to expect, and it kind of led to a lot of the shock moments that have kind of become repetitive now, like the whole let's you know, do the draft where we break up tag teams. But even back then they did like nonsensical stuff. Like they would break up, they broke up the Dudley boys, but they kept the NWO as a group. So it's like, well, why would you not want the full Dudley boys tag team? That doesn't make any sense. Mm. But so you see a lot of that stuff continue today. But I think the main reason why a lot of these drafts don't work is because they, because there isn't much drama to it because, Again, because like I said, they do it every year. So even if someone moves to Raw or to SmackDown or whatever, it isn't as seismic because you just figure that they're just going to end up moving back to the other show the next year. So like Kevin Owens, I think, has moved like every year they've done a draft or something mm-hmm. like that. So like, all right, so he's on Raw now. So he's probably just going to move to SmackDown. Well, I mean, he may move to AEW before the year. <laughs> <laughs> but, but if he stays in the company, he's probably moving to SmackDown next year. So that takes away a lot of the intrigue of, you know, who who could go where, what could possibly happen. And I guess well, on a smaller extent, I am kind of tired. I do find it interesting that um, that the main one of the main hooks of the draft now is, ooh, the tag teams could be broken up. And it's just like, of, of course, the team, the company that doesn't like tag teams is just all gung ho about breaking up some tag teams through the draft instead yeah. of just doing a lame angle or something. But right. um I really think, and I think I wrote about this for Daily DT like a couple of weeks ago after the draft, they really could be, they really need to shake up the format where they just do something else other than just move people across shows. Like, even if it just means like you use the draft to bring people up from NXT or from the performance center or whatever, um, just something different other than uh, let's just, let's just move some people around and refresh the rosters and it kind of gives us an excuse to burn through matches within a year so we can just move them over again. Mm. If they even do that because they also have like the the wild card or the brand to brand invitational or whatever that they do whenever they need some star power on one of the shows. Yeah, for sure. For it's sure. funny because no, the idea of the draft is sound. You know, you haven't got any competition so you create competition between them. It's just the execution of it and it's funny I was reading a, uh, doing some research for this show and I was reading a quote from uh, Stephanie McMahon going on record saying that, you know, the extension never achieved what they thought or hoped it would. And that's her talking about the one in 2002. And they're still <laughs> doing them today. Wow. And they've not, yeah, it's still not achieving or, uh, you know, doing what they, they'd hoped it, it would do. Yeah. So, um, well, it's, well, it's funny you bring that up because I think a few months after the draft, they ended up reshuffling the rosters anyway. I know some yeah. of that was just, you know, some people were like Austin's departure had played a role into that, but they, reshuffled everything like i think on this show it was like the first show after they dropped the whole rick flair was the owner of raw and vince was the owner of smackdown thing and they mm-hmm. just installed gms so they didn't so i think it even shows back then that they didn't really have a, a grasp of how to shuffle these rosters up properly and they just had to redo them to balance things out yeah exactly because i mean ratings i mentioned the dipping ratings um 
from 2001 to 2002, um, in 2001, the average was 4.64, and it dropped to an average of 4.01 in 2002. And, and then with house shows, dropped from an average of, uh, of, of, of 9,200 to 5,625, obviously getting those numbers from the rest of the Observer. But, um, I mean, Chad, why do you think there was such a, a big drop-off in sort of like the num? Obviously, you know, the numbers are a lot lower these days, but in terms of... Um, you know, going back uh, almost 20 years, why do you think there was that drop-off from uh, people bored of the invasion angle they'd done the year before, or maybe people, you know, were only into it when there was competition with WCW? I think you're right. Like, the invasion angle, like, the failure of it, like, really drove a lot of people off. Because once you once you think of, like, a WCW invasion, you don't think of just, like, DDP leading the charge. Or you don't see, you don't think of DDP getting buried like immediately, and then mm. like Stone Cold being like the leader of like of like the alliance. You think of like Goldberg and Hogan and Sting and things like that, and like we, we didn't get that. So I think like that led to WCW fans dropping off, and then I think just like the overall storytelling in the company took a dip from like when you go from like 2000, which I think was like one of their best years when it comes to storytelling, and then go to 2001. And then it was just like a really bloated roster with all like the WCW and ECW talent that was on there. I think I think that contributed too to a lot of people like tuning out. And I think Austin, like towards the end of 2001, kind of like being like phased out of the main event scene. I think that also led to some people like turning off. Yeah, Andrew, do you think that um, people, that a lot of people turned off in 2002 and just have never switched back on again? And they're the sort of audience that WWE is always craving to get back. Yeah, I, I think that's where that term uh, lapse fan uh, primarily comes from. There were a lot of people tuned in uh, sort of around this time period or, or, or several years prior that sort of just fell out with professional wrestling, whether that be they weren't interested in the product or, you know, they just decided that they didn't, they didn't find it interesting anymore. But like you, you, you starting to see like a, you know, quite a, quite a few hundred people here and there, like they'll tweet out that, you know, they haven't watched wrestling in 20 some odd years. And, you know, now they're back and, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious to hear from those people, like specifically why they dropped off about why they dropped professional wrestling or why they stopped paying attention to it. It's a variety of different reasons, but yeah, WWE, they definitely did have a, a, a decline during this time period. And, and, and some people would even consider this to be sort of a, uh, a high point compared to as far as the storylines or in ring product compared to, you know, what, what what's going on currently. So uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting to go back and uh, look at that and, and hear that the numbers were like, it was that sort of uh, that, that, that gap right there. And what I did want to get into, and obviously it plays a large part into this King of the Ring show, was Steve Austin, obviously a key part uh, for WWE for a number of years leading up to 2002. Um, walking out on the company, apparently he'd been unhappy with his direction for a while. He had that nothing match with Scott Hall at WrestleMania of this year, didn't he? All, all seemingly coming to a head when he was told on the June 10th row that he was losing to Brock Lesnar in a King of the Ring qualifying match with no prior build-up whatsoever and Austin decided obviously he was fed up and took a plane home back to Texas and um, I brought up the quote from his book so we can all just give our opinions on where we were at with uh, with Austin um, so he says when I look back I was running so hard and the level of intensity was so hot and I was just white hot in the business and I made a knee-jerk reaction to they wanted me to do a job in Atlanta, Georgia, in a really non-publicized match with Brock, and I thought that was real piss-poor business, and it was. I've always been willing to do business when it was time to do business, but that wasn't business. 
when you have a guy and I never blow smoke up my ass, but when you have a guy like me that drills big money, you don't just drop him out on a bullshit TV Monday night TV show. So I got to jazz up the language because that was something I was very passionate about and it really comes from my heart and my guts. That being said, I shouldn't have got on an airplane and taken my ball and went home, as they said. But hindsight being 2020, yeah, I should have gone to the arena. I should have talked to Vince and said, I'm not doing it, but I just stayed with the company. I would have handled the situation much differently today, and it would have been great had I handled it differently back then. I lost a lot of money. They lost a lot of momentum. We all lost a lot of money, and the crowd lost a part of the product that they love to watch. Um, and obviously, he alludes to it there in that quote, Austin, on TV, Vince came out and, you know, Firstly, he publicly thanked Austin for his service and then they even played it into an angle where McMahon thought Austin was coming back only to find out it was The Rock who was returning. The Rock cut a promo and he said, you know, wrestlers were passionate about what they do and urged any other wrestlers to get the F out. And, you know, and that was where that terminology came from. Austin taking his his, his ball oh, home. Out, yeah. yeah, and <laughs> JR was hammering that and then we had the confidential thing and stuff. And I just wanted to go to you, Chris, first. Uh, where do you lie on this? Do you think Austin was right to, uh, you know, to go home or whether he should have gone out and sort of like sorted out business, um, you know, with him face to face? Um... I think that Austin's like reasoning, obviously, for being upset was completely justified in terms of what they had planned for him. Um, it's fascinating to hear him, you know, in that excerpt talk about how he would have handled how he would have handled things differently and he should have handled things differently. And to at some level, I do think that yeah, it probably would have been better for him to try and sort of go to the arena and talk to Vince and sort of try to sort things out and sort out a better way to sort of get to, I guess, something different in terms of him and Lesnar. But, but at the same time, I can't, I honestly can't blame him for walking out. It's not something, it's not, it's not the most professional thing to do because particularly if, you know, if you're advertised for the show and fans are there and they're expecting to see you, it's kind of a, it's a tough deal. But at the same time, I don't necessarily blame him for walking out. Um, it would have been better if he could have come to some sort of uh, some sort of uh, agreement with Vince or some sort of sort of different terms with Vince in terms of the situation. But um, it's not anything that I just where I look at him and I go, "How could you possibly do this?" Where it's just like, "No, I I get it, like I get it." And it's not even just like that one thing, because as you said, Martin. This is something that had been built up for months. He had been phased out of the main event picture. He had that match with Scott Hall. And after that, I think he was—he had the storyline that he was doing with Flair. And I think uh, around this time, they were—they had brought Eddie Guerrero back, and they were going to—they were setting up a program with him in Austin. Mm-hmm. And um, but outside of that, he had kind of—they have sort of just sort of moved him down the card a bit, which I guess is understandable if you have younger guys and you're trying to build them up. But at the same, and I also understand wanting to use Austin's equity to get someone over because I don't think the idea that of uh, Lesnar going over Austin to really put him over is a bad idea. But just doing it in this nothing King in the Ring match, mm-hmm. um, if I remember correctly, in the on that uh, on that uh, ruthless aggression propaganda piece that WWE had on their network, <laughs> um. I think it was Brian Gortz who said that the reasoning that they used for that match was it was just a match on Raw and no one's going to remember it in a year. And it's just like, 
if you have, I mean, <laughs> and that's and that's pretty much the attitude that they have for a lot of matches now, where it's just all right, it's just a match on TV. No one's going to remember it. And no one's going to remember if this was a non-finish or whatever, or if someone lost or whatever. And I could understand being frustrated with that direction, just in terms of not making elements of the story matter, or not making certain matches that could build to something else matter. Yeah, I was about to say, and Chad, uh, I was going to kind of get your thoughts about it as well, uh, about Austin, you know, deciding to to to, to walk out. Like, do, do you think things would have been maybe easier to swallow if he probably would have met Lesnar in the finals of the actual King of the yeah. Ring tournament, opposed to it being in a qualifying match on Raw that, you know, like as they view it, uh, nobody is going to remember? Yeah, that's what I was, I was kind of thinking. Like, w, I feel like W always just, like, kind of fumbles at the goal line a lot of times. <laughs> Like, like they, like they're almost, they're almost in the end zone, and then they fumble, like pull like a Ronnie Brown, like they, like, like you said, like they could have easily had this be the finals of the King of Ring on pay per view, like Austin and Lesnar, it probably would have been like a shocking result that like Lesnar beats Austin, and then you have this like big like coronation for Lesnar on that mm-hmm. pay per view, like oh he beat he beat Stone Cold on a pay per view, and then it's this big memorable moment, uh, rather than like a throwaway match on Raw. So I, I completely understand what Austin came from on on not wanting to do that match there. And yeah. and just like I think even if he did coach the arena, I think Vince would have like stuck like stuck by his initial idea. Like yeah. you've heard like John Moxley yeah. like say like Vince pulls like Jedi mind tricks on you. Like <laughs> if you go to speak to him, like he'll try to like I guess like talk around you and then and then by the time like you leave the office like you you agree with what he with what he said, and you're like, wait a minute, what did I agree to? I think that might have been the same case. Like he might have talked Austin into doing that match, and then Austin probably still would have not been happy with it after it took place. Yeah, and, and it's funny uh, something that Chris mentioned the the Brian Gewurz comment. Uh, I was recently actually listened to an interview that uh, Alexander Wolf did uh, Axel Teicher, and he when, when Sanity first popped up on the main roster uh and, and they lost their first their first match on the main roster one of the producers had told them look man it's okay nobody's going to remember this and i don't know why they think people have like short-term memory or, or, or wrestling fans that short-term memory people well, definitely remember that memory that's exactly it man but uh yeah get, get more so getting into the show uh like I don't I don't know if y- if y'all like really put much stock into these things, but like I'm a big fan of uh, WWE. They 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 do a lot of a lot of wrong stuff, but one thing they always seem to see they always seem to get right is these video packages that actually oh, make yeah. sense and and, and, and that, oh, yeah. that are actually good. And I, I don't know if it was just me, uh, Chris. I was gonna ask you like did, did like did, did you think anything like or was it just cool to see or, or was the video package just you know just just a whatever thing for you? Um, this was the opening video with where he ran through all the King of the Ring. Yeah, winners. yeah. Oh yeah, that was that was a really good video, and it really put over um how uh how important this tournament is, even with mm. like showing some of the winners who you know didn't go on to as big of things. Mm. Looking at Billy Gunn, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think no matter how low the depths go in terms of uh, WWE's creative process. The one thing that's usually pretty consistent is their sort of their video production. And mm. even at times where they have to try and put together stuff that makes sense out of something that is often nonsensical. So, but yeah, this was a really good video opening package um, that put over the tournament. 
and put over, I guess, the competitor. It also put over the competitors because it did have the voiceover with um, like Jericho and, and Van Damme mm. and, and Lesnar. Not Lesnar, Heyman, because Lesnar didn't do a lot of talking around. So. And, and, and Chad, uh, are you a big fan of the like the 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 unique pay per view sets? And, and, and do you wish that uh, WWE uh, will bring these back? And and also, you can even say, I like I'm, I'm hoping AEW sort of pulls something out of the bag for full gear. That's what I'm hoping, but I, I feel like the unique pay-per-view sets, although they can be very costly and it, it's like a, it can be, a, I'm, assuming, I'm assuming it can be a hassle for the production team, but it just adds such a, a, a unique feel to shows when there's a different set for, for pay-per-view events. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely for unique pay-per-view sets because like, I feel like a lot of pay-per-views just like kind of, especially in WWE, like that, that LED set, like they, they just run together. Like there's nothing really like unique about them. But like with something like this, like King of the Ring, like I remember this set like immediately, like like once it popped on the screen, like I remember this from like SmackDown, Shut Your Mouth, and like in in like all like the video games and stuff. So I think it definitely adds to the presentation of the show if you have a unique set. And, and Mr. Bush, yeah, that one, that one, that one from Backlash 2001 really is uh, is it. I think WWE were doing a lot of unique sets around sort of like the early 2000s, and that one with the sort of swinging uh, sickles that yeah. Hardy jumped <laughs> yeah. off. Yeah, that was a that was a classic um, set around this time. But um, I mean, you mentioned there about the opening package, Andrew, and. Um, this was the last King of the Ring as a pay-per-view was a big five show. You know, obviously it's been brought back on TV and for other things that, you know, that we mentioned at the start of the show. But, um, I mean, it's a weird one. King of the Ring, I was a fan of the concept when I was a kid, you know, when Bret Hart was winning it and then Steve Austin and Owen Hart and the likes. But I think um, it's safe to say, Andrew, I think by this point it had, it had run its course as, you know, one of the big five pay-per-views, I think. Yeah, I, I definitely think uh, that if they probably continued, it probably would have, worn dry i mean shit is kind of worn dry now but uh i, I i'm gonna I'm I'm give uh that good man xavier woods uh so, some leeway on this i think he'll be able to take it and make it what he can but like yeah i definitely think around this time period uh it was time sort of time for the king of the ring to sort of take to, to take a step to the side but martin uh the, the the first match on this show uh is one that uh you and i have discussed uh previously oh, yeah. <laughs> uh rob van dam versus chris jericho and, and and not necessarily primarily for anything that uh, happened during the match, but it was more so because of uh, Chris Jericho was upset with people on the PW Torch forums for for for, for, for critiquing his match against RVD. Um, I'm not I'm not gonna read this whole entire thing, but it'll just read like a quick excerpt from it. And this is from Jericho's website. Uh, and yeah, here you go. And I quote: He said, "Hello, Jackoffs. All right, I've had it. You want a war? Now you got one. I'm suffering from a bout of insomnia." Uh, so I decided to go on the web and check out the reviews of the King of the Ring from tonight, most specifically on the PW Torch website. After reading with all of you smarks and believe me, you are all still sm- you are all still marks uh, had to say about my match in the show. I am furious. Everybody has the right to an opinion. And here's mine. I am sick of all you holier than thou pompous jackasses. That's it. That's all. Baby goes to sleep now. I had one of my best matches of the year tonight with RBD that featured 20 minutes of tremendous action, innovative false finishes, and an absolutely tremendous crowd. It was everything I could have asked for in a match. And it was my, in, in my opinion, an off the charge performance from RBD and myself, match of the year caliber. I was so excited about the contest, and I can humbly state that we stole the show. The crowd was so into it that they were burned out after we went on quiet for the next three or four <laughs> matches. They ate up every move from start to finish. They enjoyed the hell out of it. There was like four more paragraphs uh, 
uh, uh, but, but Martin, I remember I read this to you when we first talked oh, about yeah. it. Uh, you had a great laugh about this, oh, <laughs> about yeah. Chris Jericho. But 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 you messaged me and you said something uh, the other day uh, when I when I went back and watched it. And it, like as as much as I like the clown Chris Jericho, and I, I would be the first person to clown him any chance I get. He was kind of right in a sense, like, <laughs> and, 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 and as you said, Martin, like he the the match was good, and like for, I, I don't know if people were just trolling him. Cause that's what I'm assuming they were doing. Maybe they were just mm-hmm. trolling because they obviously he checks the website, but he wasn't lying when he said this is probably uh, like bell to bell, probably the best match on the show. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I thought it was a, a cracking match, especially for an opener. But I suppose you can see why Jericho was frustrated around this time period. Obviously, this is the first match; it's the uh, first King of the Ring semi-final. He loses it to RVD. You know, he'd already had. He'd already lost to Triple H with that really poor build-up to their WrestleMania <laughs> match, you know, and he just seemed to be treading water. I think he really didn't come up for air until the Shawn Michaels match at WrestleMania the year after, and then he found his feet again. But around this time period, he just seemed to be sort of like, like I noted there, treading water. But yeah, this was a cracking match. I mean, I think he's like, you know, obviously Jericho is a blowhard. We all know this. But, <laughs> uh, I, I think there when he's saying match of the year caliber, you know, I think that's that's a bit OTT. Yeah, but yeah, really, really bit. enjoyable match. I think they've got great chemistry together. I thought it was um, a great way to open the uh, pay-per-view. Yeah, say, what, what do you think about it, Chris? Yeah, I thought this was the best match on the show, which, I mean, says a lot about, says something about this match, but also kind of says a lot about the rest of the show. Um, I actually looked up this uh, this uh, post that because <laughs> I was curious. I did find it funny that he was talking about how it was this all time great match and all this other thing and all this other stuff. And he only stopped at four and a half star performance. Like, I mean, if you really thought it was that good, why don't you go to four five? I'm gonna say uh, in Chad, like so speaking about RBD in this match. Um, I, I think we all know how innovative RBD is, how influential he. Uh, is to this day on, on some of the talents um, uh, uh, of today's uh, wrestling landscape. Do, do you think that WWE could have capitalized on RVD as a main event talent quicker than they did? You know, obviously we went on to see him. Like, what was that like four years later when he won the WWE title at uh, One Night Stand? Oh, definitely. Like, I think he was like one of like the most over baby faces, like coming out of the invasion. Like when, he, especially when he had that feud with Kurt Angle and Stone Cold, where you like. Like dove like halfway across the ring over Kurt Angle mm-hmm. on the Stone Cold for the for the five star frog splash. I think like even going into like 2002, you could have like put him into a world title program and, and the fans would have gotten behind it. Mm-hmm. And, and and the next segment on the show, or the next that next individual we saw on the show, uh, Martin, uh, after the Jericho RVD match was Lesnar, Paul Heyman backstage. Uh, as you see them now, I'll see them then, and then you see them now uh, still. Uh, collaborating together uh, in, in some form or fashion on WWE TV today. Uh, I, I, th- I know me and you have spoken about it before, but I, I would honestly love to see like a, a in-depth sit-down conversation uh, with Heyman and Lesnar, uh, just detailing like how they met and you know just their working relationship throughout the years. Because it, 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 inter- it is an interesting one to see two people still be associated on TV in the same company 20 years later. Oh, yeah, well, I'd definitely be Heyman doing all the talking in that one, wouldn't it? I think if you want to sit down and interview with those two. Well, obviously, uh, Heyman saw him as the next, you know, I know it was his moniker in WWE, but he did see him as the next big thing. And he was like, wow, I, I can make him and me a lot of money. And he's obviously still doing that to this very day, isn't he? But um, 
It was interesting at the end of that Jericho and RVD match that Jericho did come back and attack RVD, you know, so it, mm-hmm. it didn't look as bad, you know, for the uh, final when Brock Lesnar sort of like went through uh, RVD. My thing, though, is is when he came out for the final, he wasn't selling anything. Yeah, <laughs> he came out like, like, he was, like he was completely fine. He wasn't holding his back or like he wasn't like limping or anything. I was like, what, what was the point of the after match attack if he, if he wasn't going to sell it right. in the next match? At the very least, they could have done like some sort of backstage because they had plenty of backstage stuff on the show where they um where they at least show him getting his ribs taped up or something like that to at least sort of sell the idea that he's going in with this injury um to at least give him an out for losing someone of an out for losing um as opposed to just um what what they ultimately did well I guess we'll get to it later uh what we get to that match later. Yeah, it's the sort of been... thing that they would have done in the sort of like mid to early nineties, isn't it? They would have seen, you know, you would have seen him getting his uh, ribs taped up and, and the like, but we didn't get that here. But um, it's funny because the second match on the show is the uh, second semi-final match. It's a uh, test against Brock Lesnar, and I even remember watching this at the time and then rewatching it. I don't think anybody, you know, was thinking it was any doubt that you know Lesnar was going to smash through Test here. You know, I thought we, were, you know. It was going to be um, a, a squash. We didn't quite get a, a, a squash. You know, Tess got um, a fair bit of offense in. But, um, I mean, Andrew, thoughts on the second match here? Um, I mean, Tess's not someone who's who's high on the list of sort of like all-time wrestlers, is he? Yeah. See, the, the thing about Tess is like, oh, oh, first of all, I, I did think it was a, a I would say a, a decent to solid match for what it was. Uh, I think that Brock and Tess did kind of work well together. I, I'm, I'm usually not a fan of like, too, too, too. Well, well, Brock is athletic, but I mean, too, too big dudes sort of going at it. But because sometimes the dynamic doesn't fit. Like, I mean, I guess you could recently compare it to like a, and and, and they aren't the, the athletes that uh, Keith Lee and Dominic uh, Dajakovic are. But like, I, I definitely think this was a, a solid match for what it was. But yeah, Tess, he, I, I, I don't really know what to, what, like, what to think about Tess. Like, unfortunately, as we all know, he he passed away, and he was he was twenty six. Uh, at, at this point in in, in, two, in oh, 2002, wow. yeah, is that young? Yeah, Tess was young, man. He was very he was young when he first got it. Yeah, when he first came into the company, and I remember even on uh on Bruce Pritchard's podcast, uh, he said one of the things that hurt Tess early in his WWE run was uh Vince Russo kept like just relentlessly telling the writing team like, oh yeah, man, this guy's the next Kevin Nash. You know, this is, this is, this is, this is is the next Kevin. And he said that sort of real people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Basically setting them up. And then um, it was like talents question. Like a a lot of talents were questioning how Tess was being slotted into the, uh, some of the marquee storylines at his age. And then on top of that, um, you know, just, just, just sort of being a focus point without having any, main event experience and you know back then it was a lot more uh open jealousy uh as opposed to today where things are kind of if somebody has an issue or this like this big thing is probably closeted but you know back then people were openly campaigning and politicking and stuff like that but um yeah i was gonna kick it over to you chad like just as far as this match goes and you know obviously we're, we're looking at the trajectory of brock lesnar but um test test sort of fed will for himself he didn't have a bad performance in, in this match yeah, one of the things I noted though was like Test was massive. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't remember him being that big. Like especially when he was like went face to face with Lesnar. Like they're around. Like Test is obviously taller, but he was like around like the similar mass to Lesnar too, which I wasn't expecting. But I thought I actually thought this was a pretty good match because I think Test like fit well 
as you said, I think he showed off like some agility. He showed off his power too. And then like the crowd popped really big when he hit Lesnar with that big boot. Oh yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He cleaned he cleaned he cleaned him up with that one. He cleaned so, him up yeah. with that one. <laughs> like I I think Test always had like an amazing big boot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he definitely did. And uh Chris, I was I was gonna ask you like this is sort of like a a really loaded question, but it's it, it like <laughs> but 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 how do you sort of view um Brock Lesnar? And we we could sort of look at this from the 2002 perspective and and, and correlated to how he is now because Lesnar has sort of clearly gotten to a point in the business where he can do what he wants he essentially was doing that you know back then and I don't mean like he was enforcing himself but I feel like Lesnar has just really gotten to a point of name value and uh character value so like where he can you know he's he's very much in demand and will always be in demand and can kind of just go and come in as he pleases and you know still gets the same reactions people still obviously react to him whether it's negatively or positively like just, just sort of your thoughts about Lesnar overall and I mean obviously they're still useful on TV as we're saying he's in a main event mm-hmm. storyline and you know they su- gave him the storyline suspension because they're probably going to hold off until the next show but like yeah j- just man your, your general thoughts about Lesnar man and his his career and uh j- just how he has able to really locked down a spat for himself that a lot of people pro- pro- probably would, would want to be in as far as like he can just you know if he wants to stay in wwe he can do that if he wants to go to mma he can do that you know just, just a, a, a a variety that brock lesnar is yeah he's one of the few wrestlers that they have who carries actual leverage just in mm. terms of not even in terms of like him going back to UFC or anything, but just having enough money and just having enough uh, clout to go, you know what, if this isn't working out, I don't really need to do this. You, you guys need me more than I need you, which also kind of pokes hole into the pokes a hole into the whole no one's bigger than the brand thing, which is always kind of silly. But um, just in terms of Lesnar's career, obviously I think he's uh, an amazing wrestler and obviously he got better as time went on. Um, He's, he's had a fascinating career in the sense that you could sort of, you can definitely break them up in the two halves. Like I think this run that he's been on since you know coming back is kind of worthy of its own chapter. Apart from what he did between 2002 and 2004, um, but I think both runs, um, obviously he was he was amazing. It was a reason that they pushed him so hard so fast. Um, Obviously, he had the feud with the Hardys over the before this, and he kind of ran through them. I think it was even a handicap match where no, it wasn't. It was a tag match, but it was a handicap match because Heyman was his tag partner. But <laughs> um, uh, but after that, and then of course he moved on to here. Um, it's funny, in terms of this match though, it's funny because if I remember correctly, Tess was a heel. And I was like, why are they doing heel versus heel? And then I saw the stare down. I was like, oh, that's why they're doing this match. Mm-hmm. It's two big guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, but like everyone said, like I had low expectations for this one. It surprised me because I think it wasn't a it was a lot of punch and kick stuff, but they did some power, some impressive power stuff, particularly test. I think there was a sequence where he hit like a full Nelson slam and then he hit a mm-hmm. pump handle slam and then he went for the big boop, which popped the crowd. Um so yeah, this surprised me. It wasn't anything special, but I expected a lot worse from these two. Um, you know, test finding out the test is 26 actually explains why uh, throughout com- throughout the commentary, JR kept saying, you know, test has all this potential and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes sense in that context. 
Um, this was also right before Tess joined the Un-Americans. There was a segment yeah. later in the show that kind of alluded to that. Um, I thought the finish was fine. Um, obviously, Tess went for the boot. Um, I think Heyman got on the apron after that, after the near fall, which I thought was weird because Tess hadn't really been built up in a way to where, like, Lesnar should just kind of run through and beat him clean. I don't know why, like, there was the need to sort of do the interference thing. Like, mm-hmm. outside of maybe that they're both kind of the same size, and they kind of wanted to do a thing where Tess was a bigger guy and he was a bigger Tess for Lesnar, but Tess hadn't really been built up in that way really since he got uh, since the since the Stephanie storyline from 2000 yeah. where he was basically Triple H stole his wife and that was just that <laughs> and, just, and he did nothing about it and I think he didn't really do anything in 2001 outside of winning that immunity battle royal at Survivor Series and just nothing ever really came of that either uh, where he couldn't be fired in storyline for a year but yeah, um, they, it was just surprising that they went with the interference finish, and there were a lot of interference and, and, and shenanigans sort of finishes on this show. I think the opening was the only one that was clean. Um, it was, But it was interesting, it was fascinating to see them sort of do that with Heyman in this match, especially considering they also did it in the finals with RVD. Yeah. You figure they would save that for that moment to really put over Van Dam, but um, but all in all, it was a it was a it was a serviceable match. Uh, it, it, oh, sorry, uh, it was surprising to see Heyman like swing on Test because like when he interfered and <laughs> threw a punch, I was like, wow, I wasn't expecting Heyman to do that. He he like slapped him on the back and then Test yeah. Test full on fell off the ground. It must have been a hard ass slap. But uh, <laughs> did you but, um? Oh sorry, did you notice? Did you notice early in the match it was a, a light Goldberg chant? Yeah, offense. That's, I see that, that that's interesting. I was actually going to ask Martin about that. I was like, Martin, did you happen to hear like the Goldberg chant? I I, I, I was like, because obviously Goldberg came in a year later, but it, it was just real interesting to hear the crowd break out in Goldberg chants. I was like, oh, that's that that's something right there. I think Brock got that a couple of times, didn't he, early on in his career? That you know he had a few Goldberg chants because I suppose um, a lot of the crowd felt that WWE were doing something similar with him. You know, having him sort of like smash through everybody on his way to, you know, the title match against The Rock. I think he got it a few times on a on a few things. But it is interesting in this match that, you know, it does seem that Test only lost just because Heyman got involved. So, yeah, it's, it's really weirdly booked. You'd think, you know, they'd just have Brock Lesnar smash through him. But it was, um, it was, it was a decent match, but um, a really odd finish like you guys have already noted. And like Chris noted, we had some nothing segments after this Jonathan Coachman chatting to Bully Ray about you know an all raw um King of the Ring final uh, when hold, hold on real quick Martin I ain't go, I, I, can't, I can't let you disrespect this Bully Ray promo this oh was a, this, this was actually like I, I, Martin, Martin I'm, you I'm think going, I, Martin, yeah, Bully Ray really <laughs> Martin I am going on the, Martin Chris and Chad I am going on this hill right now and y'all can take me down if you want to this was a good promo this was a good point, but like he came out and he was like, I, I, I don't know if that was just me. Maybe I, maybe I was just tired when I was watching the show. And I, <laughs> but, but, he, but, but then I, I felt like it was a solid promo. Like he, I felt like, and, and, and of course this was after uh, the Dudley boys got split in the draft. Right, Chris? Yes. Yeah. So, so like he came out and he was just like, you know, basically w- without, a, he got eliminated early in the King of the Ring tournament, but basically just saying like, Hey, Whoever wins this or, you know, I, I'm going to make sure I have my eye on them because they're going on to face the uh, 
uh, challenge for the WWE Undisputed Championship. And he was just like, you know, given his it, it was like he gave like a fair assessment of who he think is going to win the tournament. And of course, in the process, did so putting over Brock and, you know, and, and in terms of the, uh, also putting over himself. Like, I, I don't I don't know what it was. It, it just stuck out to me. Like, maybe it was just like I'm, I'm a big fan of when people uh, just speak uh, forcefully, but at the same time in a in a chill manner, if you will. And I, I don't know. It's, the promo just kind of stuck out to me. I'm down on this hill. Y'all can take me down if you want to. Do, 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 do with that what you will. He did well, say he's making an impact, too. That's what yeah. stuck out to me. He's like, I'm going to make an impact. Yeah, foreshadowing. Yeah, see, you see what I'm saying? Later there you go. Too. There you yeah. go. Yeah, I'll say this about it. Um, it was it was a nothing promo, but it was just there to waste time. But I'll say this though, like it was it was elevated because Bully Ray has just such good delivery when he talks. Yeah, he has, exactly. He has such conviction. Like he's cut better promos, much better promos than this. But it was like it was fine. But it's like one of those things where it's like it was just kind of there for me. Um, yeah, yeah. And then you juxtapose it with with Lance Storm's promo that came oh immediately God. afterwards. That's that, that's the Martin. That was bad. The Lance Storm promo. <laughs> yeah, as we know, earlier that was sort of like teasing the start of the uh, on Americans, wasn't it? With uh, him and Christie, and then obviously testing a few other people who joined that faction later on. Know. But um, back to the main show itself, because uh, Michael Cole and Taz. Uh, uh, hyping up the uh, cruiserweight match between the Hurricane and Jamie Noble. We had a bit of a video package recapping the story between them. And I had honestly completely forgotten about um, forgotten about Nydia. And Andrew, what was your thoughts about uh, Nydia's character? Because she's kind of got this weird thing where she gets, you know, kind of, uh, you know, sexually uh, aroused. Any, you know, anytime someone gets aggressive in the ring, what did you think about uh, Nydia's character here? This, this was uh, something you look back on. But 2021 as you just be like, what in the hell was mm. going on right here? Like it, it, it was ridiculous. But I like when I, I mean when I was watching like the whole storyline, like when uh I remember I was watching this uh at, at the time when Jamie Noble and Hurricane had their little storyline going over Nitty and six year old me was loving this shit. <laughs> I, 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 I I I could I couldn't get enough of it. Like this was like the coolest thing in the world to me. But like outside being 2020, I don't know what the hell they were thinking, but of course. You know they 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 went through it anyway. And uh, Martin, I was going to ask you like, did you did you ever expect uh Jamie Noble or uh, otherwise known as James Gibson to sort of come out of this WWE run and perform the way he did in Ring of Honor? I think he had an ROH World Title run. Uh, he had a solid post WWE run. Uh, how, how how did you feel about this storyline first and foremost, and then to kind of see where he went after that? And he had a he had a run in New Japan. Like he had it. Like of course I mentioned the Ring of Honor. Like he. Jamie Noble had a, like a real solid like in ring run post WWE, and then you know, of course, he uh, ended up making his way back. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, um, you know, judging him off his uh, WWE run, you know, he was always pretty decent. But like you know, at days, you know, his better stuff was outside of WWE. You know, with the shackles off and when he could have sort of like uh, better matches with um, you know, better wrestlers. Because I was always disappointed with the you know WWE cruiserweight division. I mean, this match against Hurricane was decent. But, you know, once you'd, if you'd been a fan of the cruiserweights in WCW, it was a big disappointment for, you know, some of the people that they had mm. in, the, in the roster, you know, outside the likes of, you know, Jamie Noble, Hurricane were decent, but, you know, it was no sort of like Yuvi Guerrero and, and, and the likes. And, yeah, so when WWE announced they were doing their own cruiserweight division, I was fairly excited at the time, but then, you know, we had some decent matches, but it was it, nothing 
compared to the Nitro matches and the things that we'd seen from WCW. So, yeah, I was always fairly disappointed with it. But watching it back all these years later, I thought it was um, a pretty decent match. And, you know, as much as I said that about Nidia, I think her and uh, Neville had some uh, good chemistry together. Yeah, they definitely did. Chris, would you would you sort of agree that uh, Nidia and Noble work well together? Yeah, uh, they were... I remember watching those SmackDowns in 2002 and 2003. They were one of the highlights of those shows for me, um, just in terms of how they well they played off of each other. Um, in terms of this feud, I watched the video package, um, and I kept saying to myself, this is a storyline that is about the Cruiserweight over the Cruiserweight champion. This is a match where two guys are fighting over a championship, but it's actually about the soap opera stuff where you know, Nydia was Hurricane's girlfriend, and then she brings in Jamie Noble, and they do all this stuff. Um, the match itself, I was left kind of disappointed, because um, I had watched this, like, years ago, and I remembered liking it, and I watched it back, and I was just like, mm-hmm. this is kind of kind of bland. They did yeah. some pretty good pain wrestling at the beginning, but then it was just like, then they locked in the rest hold, and they did all this stuff. There was also no heat for this match, which, like, <laughs> who knew? You, you build the entire story around a storyline around Nidia and no one actually cares about the two guys wrestling for the championship. Mm-hmm. I think, I think also like the match too, like just led itself to not getting any heat. Cause like, this is a cruiserweight championship match. So you, you would expect like a faster pace, like hard hitting action, yeah. like some ho- more high flying moves. And then this worked like a, a, a typical, like WWE style match. So like, I think that's like part of the reason why like the crowd was dead. Also. Yeah. Yeah, it was a it was a WWE heavyweight match where it was just really slow pace, and they did the stuff with Nitty on the outside. That was the only thing the crowd seemed to react to before Hurricane hit that big neck breaker off the top. Mm-hmm. That was oh, nice. That was a, that was a nice. That, yeah. that was a, that was a nice swing yeah. neck breaker, bro. Yeah, that was before nice. That, before that, every, every everything the fans reacted to was Nitty related, which unfortunately <laughs> included some uh, some chants. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, which I just like. It's the thing I don't understand, like why they chant this at at a character who is dating one person and is only having sort of relations with the one person. And they're like, oh, well, that person is a skank. I was like, all right, well, I mean, that's... Uh, even maybe... the commentary, like, uh, yeah, I thought Jerry Lawler was awful the entire time. I think uh, he had a line where he said, uh, he, like, insinuated that JR wanted to be with Nidia, and then JR said, like, she's young enough to be his daughter. And then King said, like, I don't, I don't see what the problem with that is. Like I was just like, oh, oh my god! god. Yeah, 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 he, yeah. Made some, he made some reference to like, uh, her, it's her experience that, that matters or something. Yeah, he. And I was yeah. like, I almost had to put it on mute, and I'm and <laughs> shockingly, it would get worse later on in the women. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! The, even Molly, Holly, he said something about Molly Holly too. Like during this match, I think he said like something about like her match being like the survival of the fattest or something. Yeah, like that that that, 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 that was kind of like their whole. Uh, thing about Molly Holly that like they were trying to make fun of her weight or like you, you know what yeah, I'm saying talk about was, talk about her waist size and stuff like that it was it, it, it was like just ridiculous and and, and like Lawler even uh as Chad and Chris were talking about some of his commentary during this match like well but when, when you look at this stuff like oh here that stuff like now it's just like like what in the fuck was, was going on like he was making comments like you're, you're only as old as the women you is the oh, women you yeah feel. Was, I was like oh, bro what like you, like you, like the the stuff he was saying on commentary all those years ago, and and even um even I, I don't know if you guys saw his recent quote uh 
when he was when he it, it was last year when WWE was still running shows out of the PC and he made the comment about Akira Tozawa's oh yeah mom, the mom and knew, moonsault Ramen. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and, then, and then Lawler was like well I, I don't get how that's racist and I'm like well you're a 60 year old man who grew up for 70 or however old he is that grew up in the south where it was probably racist as hell so the things that you consider racist yeah and, and the things that uh we or people of color or black people or uh, Hispanic people or yeah, like it, we, it's two completely different things about what we, what we consider racist, but Lawless commentary does not hold up well at all, Chad. I just think about like, too, like back to like the 2000 Royal Rumble when Takamu Shinuku like hit his face really hard on the, oh, yeah. on the, and he started making like a bunch of racist, like Asian jokes and stuff mm. towards him. I was just, and like that just always stuck with me with, with mm. Jerry Lawler. Yeah, yeah, and he got away yeah. with it for years, didn't he? And he was always awful. Yeah. I was listening yeah. to uh, John and Way earlier talk about WrestleMania 19 and in that book T Triple H match, he's constantly making, you know, yes. dicks, oh, my you know. God. oh my God. He's, oh, he's my got God. Johnny no, Cochran no, on speed no. dial and things no, like no, that. No, no, don't then, get us started, Martin. Don't get us started. Bruce, Bruce Pritchard still says that that was about the MCW. It wasn't about black people. It was about mm. the MCW. Yeah, because all people in WCW had nappy hair. Man, yeah. oh my god, they, they, they about to get us going. But uh, <laughs> specifically going back to uh, Jamie Noble versus uh, Hurricane Martin, uh, do, do, do you think that it says a lot about Jamie Noble's uh, in ring ability that he's still been able to hold down a job with WWE to this day, and is still a, a producer and an agent? And, and, and as far as like his run at WWE, like, do you think it was more so just a thing like? Hey man, like you're a great wrestler, but you really don't have the size for us to be pushing you like you know to a to to, to the lengths that he was able to go in the Ring of Honor and 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 find success in New Japan. Do you think it was just you know WWE just having that stigma about his size that they wouldn't be able to think people would, would believe in him? Oh yeah, definitely, and because he, he had such longevity as an agent and a producer, and that is clearly respected, you know, not only by the office but by the wrestlers, because you know he's you know laying matches out for people and like that, so. Yeah, it's clearly well respected, but like you said, you know, the size, you know, is going to come back and, and haunt him when you're um, when you're in these crews where you're not really, they're not going to see much outside of you, you know, unless you're a Rey Mysterio, you know, someone mm-hmm. really unique like that. But um, yeah, I thought it was a decent match. Um, Jamie Noble winning the Cruiserweight Championship there. And then um, Amanda, we talked about earlier, who just uh, made his return to the company. We saw... Uh, Eddie Guerrero backstage with Terry, and he was talking about his match I with really Ric Flair. Yeah. yeah that, what, I, sorry. Oh, yeah, oh. You say, Chris? oh, I just said, I really like this promo. I like yeah. how Eddie flipped from sort of being jovial and shouting out his family to just. <laughs> like, yeah. I really, I thought this was really, really good. Yeah. So, so sort of like b- before we uh, go into the Eddie quote, I, I do agree. Like, but uh, c- c- y'all correct me if I'm wrong, but like, did, didn't Jamie Noble get like stabbed in like 2016? Oh like, yeah, in the trailer park. I think you're right. I just remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then, that, that so, so somebody tried to like, I, I think it was a confrontation or something. I don't want to say somebody tried to. I think it was like more so of a confrontation that he got stabbed like a couple times and he, of course, he survived it. But like I remember, I saw some of the pictures uh, around that time and it was like I was like, God damn! Like he, you know, J- J- Jamie Noble, tough man. Like he, he made it yeah. through. But like that, that, that came to mind like as a. Uh, as you guys were talking, but like sort of yeah, going back to what Chris said about the Eddie promo, uh, I, I think it just shows uh, Chris. Would you say sort of? I mean, I mean, you, you, you not not diving too deep into it, like overthinking it, but do you think it just shows the range of an Eddie Guerrero to like go from that? Hey, yeah, let me shout out the family members, let me throw out these names, and then he immediately got serious, like well, and like you know, qu- quickly after that. Yeah, I think it it showed 
how much range she could have, in, particularly in a company where they sort of seem to value acting range or whatever. But it, so it really helped for him to have that sort of that ability to sort of turn it on when he needed to turn it on. And like you could find examples of that well past this, even well past when he won the WWE Championship. Obviously, his heel run in the feud with Rey Mysterio, that ability to sort of sort of sort of joke around and sort of be the sort of fun loving guy and when it's time to sort of put sort of hype up a big match or an intense match to to be able to just do that so effortlessly i think is a part of what made eddie Guerrero so great outside of obviously being a really talented wrestler mm. it's hard to uh look at this match you know especially with uh terry interviewing eddie behind the scenes and then obviously rick flair being in this because yeah during this uh, event, we are a yeah. month through removed from, you know, one of the most infamous events of this year, the plane ride from hell. And obviously for years I'd gone in WWE lore, and it, you know, talked having documentaries about, you know, lads being lads sort of thing, but as we all saw and were rightly horrified, you know, when seeing that dark of the ring dark side of the ring episode with mm-hmm. the interview with the stewardess Heidi Doyle and the, you know, psychological toll it took on her. I mean, did you see that documentary and, and what were some of your thoughts on it, Andrew? Yeah, it, it... Like my, my my initial thoughts on it was like especially you you can even uh before we even get to the Ric Flair stuff like Tommy Dreamer's uh remarks about it and how it was just one of those you know the, the one of those phrases we all hear from time to time or, or, or a lot of the times referring to some of these backstage or or, or off camera incidents involving wrestlers the boys just being the boys and and and, and that type of mindset and like Ric, Ric Flair man like I, I like that that. The whole thing was especially with Heidi Doyle was like and kudos to her for sharing her story. Like I, I I really didn't know like how to even say anything about it. Like it was it was just ridiculous. Like the fact that he went to that level and and, and, and like that that whole mindset of boys just being the boys. Like even them like spiking each other's drinks for fun. Like who like who does shit? Like they putting like all these different drugs and stuff and like. You know what I'm saying? You don't know the effects that stuff having on lo- people long term, and yeah, man. Like, well, Flair, I, I, I genuinely think that. Well, I, I'm, I'm always at a mindset that you know the things that you do in the dark always eventually come to the light some way, somehow. Like, it might not happen a year from 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 that, or it, it might happen, you know, 15 or 20 years or however long. But yeah, man, with, with Flair, like, I, I, as far as where he goes now, I, I don't see any wrestling company touching him, and I think it should. Mm-hmm sort of stay that way uh Ch- chad i was gonna ask you like do you ever see flair uh appearing on a, a, a another wrestling promotions or, or company's product like he, you know he's appearing at donald trump fundraisers and shit now so that's like the bottom of the barrel so so i mean that, that, that that's as far as he going but like do you sort of see uh F- F- flair ma- making a return to wrestling in, in a in, in a place that's more so valued or or, or a national televised product where you just think that he's going to be, you know, do, doing what he's doing now, uh, off outside of wrestling appearances, and you know, because promotions, right, right, rightly so, should not want to touch him. I think uh, the only one promotion I could think of that he could pop up in is NWA, just because like Billy mm. Corgan. You saw, well, you see yeah. Tyrus, like he, who similarly uh, had yeah. sexual assault allegations against him. Yeah, and he and he's a champion in that mm. promotion. So I could see him popping up in NWA, especially now that he's already made appearances there. But the thing is, too, like what you said, like what he did in the dark, like it's coming to light. Like a lot of stuff 
he did like it, it was it did come to light but we just didn't have like i guess yeah. the context yeah. of like of the people that he was doing it to like he would tell all these stories from like flashing people on planes but we didn't hear like the stewardess like Heidi doyle's perspective yeah. all these years so like i think like th- that dark side of the ring just framed like a lot of like rick flair's stories in a different context in like a darker light yeah saying chris like we, we also saw like uh how WWE tried to uh, present the plane ride from Hill as like this, you know, jokey joke, like, haha, you know, we're just messing around. And then when you get the, like like Chad said, the other side of the context being Heidi Doyle and her experience and hearing her, yeah, her, her whole experience on that flight, like it, it just adds a completely different uh, context to it and, and makes you look at it from a completely different perspective opposed to how WWE tried to, presented and, and has previously spoken about the praying ride from hill prior to us getting that dark side of the ring episode absolutely i just think it serves as yet another example why you can't take wwe's word for any sort of retelling of history because mm. they all try to spin it in a way that always makes them look good no matter what or in this case make it seem like it wasn't nearly as big of a deal as it actually was as we saw in the dark side of the ring documentary um, just the idea that, you know, you, you would present something as like this, as sort of this lighthearted, oh, it's just, just guys having fun or it's mm-hmm. just guys, the boys being boys and everything. The only thing that the boys being boys sort of argument mentality does is protect the people who quite frankly, don't have any need being protected with things like this. And I find it particularly funny because a lot of these dudes, do this are the same type of people who will go oh these these new wrestlers they're just a bunch of bunch of entitled millennials who just play video games all day well yeah. now like one of y'all needed a game boy or something on that plane ride or mm-hmm. something else something to keep y'all busy outside of doing what y'all were doing like um i, I remember i recently heard Bret hart sort of speak about he he, he, he didn't directly reference rick flair but th- this is essentially what he was talking about like just that boys trying to be boys being boys mentality and that just the way the, 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 the locker room etiquette of, of, of wrestlers were sort of keeping these secrets. He was like, he, he said, the, the, it was like a long quote, but the one thing that really stood out to me that from what he said was, imagine if that was your daughter in that situation. Like, would, would you, would you be of the, Oh yeah, boys of the boys mindset or, you know, Hey, you know, let, let's keep this between us type thing. Like, imagine if that was your family member or your sister or your cousin or your aunt or your mother or your daughter in that situation. You would have a completely different opinion and you would want to approach the situation in a completely different manner from trying to be this just calm. Oh, yeah, let's, you know, let, let, let's let, let's hold back on this. Don't, you know, don't don't bring it out to the public type thing. And like, I, I think that's like, I, I think that dark side of the ring episode, it needed to come out like we needed to hear Heidi's perspective. And um, I, I I think that I'm glad she got to uh, speak her truth uh, because it it definitely it it definitely needed to come out, uh, Martin. Yeah, definitely, and it's obviously not easy for someone like Heidi Doyle or many other brave people who've come out and spoken about wrestlers to tell these tales. But you know, you can do nothing but thank them for coming out and opening your eyes to some of the sort of like stuff that you sort of hear about in wrestling. But you know, it's never you know it's like it's always talked about with boys being boys, but then, you know, when you hear the truth to it, you know, it's absolutely horrifying. And and, in this match as well, obviously we talked earlier in the show about this was supposed to be Austin against Eddie Guerrero. And 
with Austin leaving the company, you know, Ric Flair took his place in this one. And it was a bit of a nothing match. It sort of ran out of steam halfway through for me. And I, I felt it really didn't capture the, the uh, crowd's imagination that much. I, don't, I didn't think they were that into it. But I suppose, you know, Flair's best days were well behind him at this <laughs> point. And Eddie yeah. was trying to do his best. Um, unless you guys have got some you know major thoughts about this match there is someone who came after this match after flair won this match someone who was making his debut here and has gone on to do so much in sort of like the world of concussions and things like that was a Nowinski. oh wf new york with yeah, uh, william regal and I, I mean obviously he's you know his um wrestling career didn't last that long but i mean the his concussion legacy foundation, the amount of research he's done. I mean, he's a go-to for the, you know, people like ESPN, CNN and the likes, and just the amount of stuff he's done, Andrew, in, in terms of concussions in sports and that and open people's eyes to, uh, you know, CTE and things like that. Yeah, for sure. Man. Chris is like one of those dudes I would love to interview. Like he is legitimately like it, just, the, just the amount of research that he's done. Cause he, he's, he's had a couple of concussions of his own. And like, I think one of them, really ended his career and he's like he still feels the effects of it to this day like it still you know hurts him like that, i i, I uh, what you said what you want to say Chad? Was, was that the one where um edge landed on his face i think it was like in the 2003 royal rumble uh like a drop kick on the top rope but then like edge is like full body weight yeah. like, landed on his yeah head. i remember that spot yeah I, I remember that spot i i don't know if that was it like I've, I've heard him speak about the concussion that like took him like took him out of professional wrestling and it, it, he he sort of formed for, uh, like worded is like he took like a um it, it, it like he, he was it was at a house show and or it was at a TV taping and like he he got hit with a big boot and it like hit he the way he described it was like it hit him flush like and mm. it was it was bad right. like he 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 couldn't like it, it I, I guess it was one of those things where it was just a miscommunication like he couldn't get his hands up and like I'm talking like he the the way he the way he worded it was like it like it was like boot straight the forehead type thing. And it was just like, he was out from that point. And like to see where he's gone on now from his own experiences. And like, even hearing him say that that concussion still, uh, still, still hinders him in ways to this day. Uh, Martin, I definitely think uh, that, that Chris Nowinski is going to be one of those guys that people consistently go to for years to come uh, when it comes to concussion protocol practice and, you know, in, in anything concussion related. Yeah, among other people, you know, he's really opened people's eyes up to it, hasn't he? I mean, um, even, you know, got hockey players to donate brain tissue, you know, after after they died and things like that. Just, like, really important work that he's been doing. So, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, because obviously, you know, he's, I think he's rightly more remembered for uh, for the work he's done with that now rather than sort of, like, um, his his brief wrestling career here. But, um, no, I I, I was going to mention just one thing. I I wanted to uh, sort of get... uh, Chad and Chris's thoughts about the so about Eddie Guerrero real quick like so this so this was like I, I think this was like probably a year or so maybe year and a half into his like standalone singles run because he had been paired with China up until that point uh for for the, the year prior um Chris like China she like it's well known at this point um because Jim Ross has done plenty of uh, interviews about it and he's spoken about it at length when he was head of talent relations um so just just sort of speaking about China briefly like uh she 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 wanted a million dollar deal and you know at the time you know 
you could I'm pretty sure you can guess who had million dollar deals at that time. You know, you got your Austin's. Yeah, I remember you know, it was yeah. Steve Austin money was the yeah. specific Steve, term. Cool. Exactly, exactly. Steve Austin money. What what when you look at a talent like China, um back then, like I I, I think she would have been so more valuable in today's landscape like you could say that about so many different women like from 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 the uh, early 2000s uh even outside of wwe but like do, do you think it was sort of like like they they, they they viewed they viewed her asking for that type of money is you know outrageous or unrealistic like do, do you think she had a legitimate gripe for being a being a unique talent as she was uh to, to to ask for that uh that that that, that type of money like i i don't think she was out of bounds for it, but I, I definitely think if she was in this current era of women's wrestling, they'd have throw that at her, like no question. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's funny because they had pushed her pretty hard around 2000 with the Eddie stuff, and I think she also had like the she was like the Playboy cover model, or whatever, around that mm-hmm. year as well. And then they did the the deal where she won the women's title, but even before that, it's I mean it's awfully telling. It was awfully telling that they would book her in feuds with the men and have her win yeah. the continental title and stuff like that. It's also an indictment on you know the women's division that they didn't have a division to really push her in, so they had to push her in uh, with the men. Which, I mean, in a sense, you look back at that stuff now and you see a lot of intergender matches on the indies and everything, and even as high as Impact Wrestling, um, you can sort of trace that back to, at least in terms of the mainstream, trace that back to China, having those matches with like Jeff Jarrett and having those matches with that program with Jericho leading up to WrestleMania over the IC title. Um, so yeah, she was definitely a value, valuable asset, not that I like referring to, to people as assets, mm-hmm. but, um, but she was certainly valuable to the company in the sense that she was one of their most over acts and yeah, she was well within her bounds to ask for what she felt her labor was worth and i feel that way about anyone who whose contract is up and they feel hey i've done x y and z particularly for a company where you're working 300 days a year and you're doing all the house shows <laughs> yeah um where you're like hey i need to make x x amount of dollars um and i want to make x amount of dollars for this much much and you're able to go and you look and say hey i'm this over and my merchandise does this and my and the business does this when i'm on the card um, so yeah, I don't blame her for asking for more money, but at the same time, I also kind of feel like, yeah, it was like a combination of that. I kind of felt like that was also part of a reason that just a reason to get rid of her because obviously she was <clears throat> dating Triple H before Triple H left her for Stephanie. And of course, I don't know how much of that played into it either, but yeah, like obviously she should have, honestly, she probably should have asked for more than a million dollars to be honest mm-hmm. with you. And, and and Chad sort of expanded on that. Yeah, your, your your thoughts about you know her asking for the million dollar deal, and I, I'm pretty sure you're probably of the same line of thinking as uh as, as probably all of us in here. Like, did she 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 deserved that money for for being the caliber of talent that she was during that time period? Yeah, definitely. I think she definitely like warranted like top top person pay mm-hmm. like, at a million dollars a year, and like just the just to think like if she stuck around like even like a year or two longer. Like the influx of like women's talent that came in, like Victoria and like Trish got better, Lita got better, Jazz came in, yeah, Jacqueline there. Like there, there are Molly. women that could work. Yeah, Molly, there, there are women that could work that were coming in. Just as like Southbrook would have been interesting to see her like have those matchups against those women. Cause I think like when she was 
when she went, went to lead the company, that there wasn't like like that many women that she could work with. There was like Ivory and like Lita, and like Trish was still like was still very new to wrestling at that point. So yeah. I, I can see why she wanted to work with men more than women at that time. Yeah, and Martin, uh, as Chad mentioned, Molly Holly and Trish Stratus. That was our uh, next match that we're going to get into for the women's championship. Yeah, because I mean, Trish had come on sort of like leaps and bounds, hadn't she, as a performer? You know, she'd not had any sort of like background in wrestling, and she's someone that I always look at as someone who, you know, she got put through sort of like the ringer by WWE, some of the skits and some of the bullshit she had to put up mm-hmm. with and do, and you know, and she she put on some good matches. I mean, this isn't like going to be in your, you know best matches of 2002 but i thought a pretty decent little match of the idea and um you know the title changing with molly holly beating trish so um decent little match but i think as uh, chad noted earlier it was a bit overshadowed by the whole molly's got mm. a big butt thing from jerry lawler which is a shame mm. with a lot of these matches you know the women are working hard and trying to put a decent match together and not just be all about sort of tna and then lawler's there you know reminding you about some of the worst traits of uh of wrestling I felt yeah. really bad too because, like, yeah. it, the, the second she holds up the title after winning it, Waller says, like, it really was survival of the fattest. Just like, oh think about like ruining a moment. If she like goes back to to watch that, and like that's the commentary over her big moment, like, that's terrible. Yeah, yeah. And I I just remember watching this. I watched it, and I just remember just getting angry and just going. I almost thought about uh, Demon and Andrew just going like, man, I can't watch the rest of this show, man. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I just remember because Trish worked hard, Molly worked hard, the match was yeah. pretty good. They did. Mm-hmm. There were a couple of cool spots in this match. Um, there was a spot where I think Molly went for an Irish Irish whip and Trish countered it and kind of stepped over into like a roll up. And I thought that was a pretty, oh, yeah, pretty, that was a- a pretty slick move. But it was so hard to focus on the match because. Uh, because of the commentary and just just the storyline around it, and as I mean, it, because of the storyline, there was no heat for this match because the fans had been conditioned by this point to not care about the women's action or anything mm-hmm. about the women outside of just bikini contests and and lingerie stuff. And they get some actual wrestling here, and it's just it's crickets until the finish. And it was a shame because they did a lot of good stuff here, um, even though it was only like only like five minutes, and they didn't really get a chance to tell the story. It was actually pretty reminiscent of some of these Queens ground matches where it's just mm-hmm. get your stuff in because you don't have that much time and mm-hmm. they made the most of it. But unfortunately it was just like, no one cared. And it was a shame. Yeah. Martin, I, I think Chad and Chris, like pretty much hit the nail on the head. Like it was, the, the match was actually good. Like this was actually a good match. It was just a case of like, it was kind of difficult to get into it because of Lawless commentary. And it wasn't like, but for me, it wasn't necessarily thinking of like I, I I can't like like just fully f- fully watch it. But it was just like, damn, it's so hard to like really get into what they're doing because Lawler won't shut the hell up and he keep making these like off base remarks about Molly Holly. And then you know he he you can go back to any random raw that Trish Stratus is on. You catch Lawler saying something inappropriate. That's there's a dime a dozen of those. But like but like Martin, uh, I, I, like I said, I think Chad and, and Chris. Uh, oh, you go ahead, Chris. One thing. It's one thing if Lawler does this. It's bad enough if Lawler does this during a, just a regular Wiz match. Like, if this were Tori Wilson and Don Marie or whatever, the ma- other non-championship women's match was around that time, and he had commentary similar to that, it would have been bad enough. This was for the women's championship. Yes. This was for, like, what is supposed to be the most prestigious championship for the women on the show. And it's just... It's bad enough the feud, which is basically 
you know, Molly Holly's a prude and she's just projecting because she's uh she's not like super skinny or whatever. Like you like she's a fat ass or whatever. It's just like she's not even that big. Like, and that's the other thing. It hearkened to because they did this later on with like Piggy James in two thousand. Yes, this wasn't oh, just, point. Yeah. this wasn't point. just um this wasn't just some relic from two thousand and two. They they have they have enacted this, and it felt like well, even with the Dewdrop stuff, Nima Marie in two thousand twenty one, they got close enough to doing it without actually doing it. So it's like they had like they had enough self awareness to realize, ooh, maybe we shouldn't actually do this with this with this program, but. What made it even more jarring was Molly Holly was the heel here. Like she's not the baby face, and it's just like, oh, she's going to overcome and kind of like show it's like some sort of bullying storyline. No, no, no. This was a means for the baby faces to ridicule her, and I guess it it just it was infuriating to watch. It was infuriating to listen to uh, to the commentary for the five minutes. It felt it made this match feel like it was twenty minutes and not. In, and that's never a good thing for a match that's a quarter of the length. Like, like even uh, Martin, I don't know if you, Martin and Chad and Chris, I don't know if you guys remember the comment when, I, I think it was Lawler at the end when he was like, uh, it, it was like the Lawler or Ross when, after she won the title uh, on, on, top, on top of him making a comment about her weight more so of a thing he was like oh now, well now she can have her like virgin ways or something like that I was oh like, yeah what i remember this because oh, I, if I remember man. correctly the, a lot of this stuff was if i remember the time a lot of this was centered around the fact that she was because molly holly was obviously a devout christian she was celibate in real life so they decided mm-hmm. well, let's put this in a storyline it was just that kind of makes it even even more kind of growth, even more WWE. Growth. Yeah, WWE is a place where like you cannot reveal anything about your personal life unless you want to be put to a storyline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the yeah, Lawler was insufferable here. And not to even let JR off the hook because he did have a line where he was like, Molly and my backsides are the exact same size or whatever. And it's just like, all right, you're supposed to be yeah. it's one thing if Lawler does it, it's not it's bad enough because he's but he, at least he's the heel announcer. Right, yeah, you're, you're yeah, supposed yeah. to be the babyface voice of the fans. Yeah, and I get Jim, Molly's a heel, but like, no, just yeah, no. Jim, Jim definitely had a couple, couple lines when I was like, dude, what are you, what are you doing? Like, it was one, one comment when he was like, he, he like randomly said he was like, you know, you can't sell a thong to a man in Oklahoma. I was like, bro, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's it, you go Chad, but it's ridiculous, and, man. And like you like. Said so, like they worked this match like seriously like 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 a championship match. It was no it was a good match at all either. Yeah, it was a good match. Like Molly hit a really nice bridging German suplex and everything. Like like I don't understand. Like if they just watched the match and like gave concrete, I think they would have gotten into it. But they, yeah, they just you just got to watch the match on mute. Basically, there was another there was another spot. I think Molly transitioned into an armbar that looked pretty nice, and then she kind of did a spot where she kind of let go of the hold and she kind of smashed Trisha's arm in. Went into the mat and then reapplied it, which I thought was pretty neat. It was there was good stuff in the match, but it was just it was really distracting to hear the announcers, and it was also disheartening to hear this. The crowd just did not care, and essentially didn't care because they weren't given a reason to care by the people who booked the show. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's just a shame that you know it it took so many years for him to sort of like start booking uh, women's wrestling uh, properly and they're still not quite got there have they but you know it's a, it's a lot better than going back to uh, 2002 but um, 
you know, as, as you go back and, and watch these shows, you know, they're always littered with uh, problematic people because next up we've got uh, <laughs> Kurt Angle against uh, that man, Hulk Hogan. I want to talk about Angle's promo before. It was fantastic. This was, I got this because I took some notes. I got the quotes here. Mm-hmm. What did he say? Let's see up here. Um, okay. So the first quote that stuck out. What in the heck did Hulk Hogan ever do to become a real American hero? And I was like, oh, he's the baby face. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Baby face. I wrote that down too. I was like, yeah. The next like, quote was, it. next quote was, Hulk Hogan is a real American hero because Vince McMahon told him to be a real American hero. If Vince wanted him to become a zookeeper, he would become a zookeeper. <laughs> I'm like, and then the next one, I was like, tell him, Kurt. That's Kurt right. Was shooting. He was shooting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, Ch- Chad, but, uh, like, like you know, like it was uh, alluded to at the top of the show, um, H- H- Hogan uh, was was coming out of a, 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 a undisputed title run. I, I, I truly wonder how he finessed that one. But like see, seeing him yeah. in this spot, like 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 Martin said, you know, is I I, I think at this point we're just like for for, for even for, I I can't speak for, for 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 you guys, but like even for me, like at this point, it's it's like what Hogan like what what when I when I see him or like when I you know talk about him it's not even from an anger standpoint anymore it's just like i'm just clowning him just because of how like fucking idiotic he is he seems pathetic exactly exactly yeah i found it funny this whole feud was about kurt angle being insecure about his bald head and the baby face is the dude who almost always wears a bandana to cover his bald <laughs> head i was just like okay I, I yeah say, he did he did actually have because obviously you know the whole joke going into this one was that Kurt Angle had lost a, a heavy yeah. hair match to Edge, so obviously we're used to Kurt being bald now, but it was weird seeing him, you know, with this wig on. Yeah, I forgot. Uh, under, the under the headgear. Yeah, and, um, um, you know, as much as, you know, I'm no Hogan fan, he did have a funny line. I don't know if it was in the lead-up to this match when he said that he lost a hair match to Mother Nature, brother, um, <laughs> rather, than, <laughs> rather than, you know, Kurt Angle. But it's just weird. See, obviously, you know, we were used to Kurt when he came in having hair, and, and you know, it's weird thinking of him with hair. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Like, and, uh, what, what, uh, no, oh, I was going to say, uh, you good, you good, Chad. I was going to say, like, did, what, was it just me, or, or did y'all hear, did, 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 they, did they pipe in crowd cheers for Hogan? It was weird. It wouldn't surprise me. Was it, was it the dubbing of, like, said the dubbed his theme? They, like, did, yeah, like, they dubbed Voodoo Child over. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Cause, so cause, I don't know if that was they just added some crowd heat. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Because I, I I was hearing it, I was like, that does not sound like a crowd reaction. That sounds it sounded like, like a some, video game. Yeah, it exactly. It, yeah, it it, it it sounded like audio content that they just mixed in there. But like um like like see, seeing this match, um and it, you know it, it 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 was what it was. Like I'm 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 I I can't stand even remotely. I, it, it, it like kills me to even give Hogan any type of point, but like the the, the carried the, him. The, the, yeah, he carried. There you go. Kurt carried him to a good match, which is like a, a huge test exactly. to Kurt Angle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. exactly. And I, I was gonna say, Chad, like, do you think there is, uh, like, um, like seeing Kurt in this spot? Do you think there is some maybe eternal internal pressure on Gable Stevenson? Who a lot of people sort of, uh, well, I'm not going to say us, but more so of maybe even within WWE, they're expecting that same type of turnaround that Kurt came in again. Like Kurt was 
on it like that when he came in? And do you think sort of Gable was have that sort of same pressure on him whenever he decides to make his appearance on the dreadful three hour Monday Night Raw? I think they even like kind of uh, they, they're kind of putting it behind the ball because even Kurt, he worked in Memphis for what, like a year, six yeah. months before mm-hmm. he even came up to the main roster. And they're putting Gable Stevenson on TV like immediately with like minimal training. So I think yeah, he's, he's like going to have an uphill battle. Like even even Braun Breaker, he, he hasn't been wrestling that long. But what do you have like six, seven months in the, mm-hmm. the in the PC, PC before mm-hmm. he debuted? And he's still in NXT. So I think Gable Stevenson, I, I don't know if it's going to uh, click right away with him. I think it might take a little bit. I don't think it put, push him to like the, the main event level like immediately. I think he might have to work a little bit before he gets there. Yeah, and uh, Martin, like, would you sort of agree with, uh, with Chris and Chad uh, that 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 Kirk Curry Hogan to this match? Like, I, I hate giving, I hate even giving Hogan a shred of points <laughs> for, for for having a good match. But uh, what would you sort of agree that Kirk Kurt sort of took him to his level, and especially oh, towards absolutely. the end? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Kurt's like you know one of the all time greats, isn't he? he? Can you know carry a broom to a good match, especially <laughs> around this, just around this time period? You know, he don't. You know, he, he picked up a lot of injuries, but, you know, he yeah. didn't have the amount of injuries that he would have later on in his career when he was still having great matches. This is before the broken neck, too. Well, the, well, the second one, too. Yeah, so, like, so he was even working at, like, a different level than that, like, even higher level than what, what we see, like, after, like, 2003. And that's still, like, one of the greatest of all time. So, like, that just shows, like, like the ability that Kurt Angle had to carry, like, Hulk Hogan, a 50-year-old Hulk Hogan at that, too, mm. to a, a good match. And also, I think Hogan, like, he set, like, the tanning bed on, like, Mandy Rose or something, because he, he was extra, yeah. <laughs> he, he was extra <laughs> this match. Oh, my goodness, man. Yeah, yeah. He, does, he does look um, a weird shade of orange, doesn't he? <laughs> His whole sort of, like, later WWE run, he definitely did. But um, Kurt picked up the win there, and then we cut to this uh, backstage promo between oh, the, my uh, goodness. Gold Dust dressed up as The Rock, <laughs> oh, the and The Rock himself. It was yeah, absolutely hilarious. <laughs> the, Martin, this is without question one of my... This is this is probably the highlight of this show for me. I'm not even going to... This was hilarious. Like, this was... <laughs> like, the WWE, like, they have a lot of moments, man. Like, even to this day, where I'm just like... Y'all are trying so hard to be funny. This shit is not funny. This was legitimately funny. Like, they, like they, I, I don't know what it was with, with Rock and, and Dustin Rhodes uh, slash Gold Dust, but like they, like they, they just had like some some good chemistry, and they and they got each other. And Booker T played in well. Like uh, Chad, just, just just your thoughts about this segment, um, and, and just the comedic uh, aspect of it, while also uh, having that. Uh, sort of tension between rock and booker like so so having the comedic aspect of it while also having the serious thing between rock and book and then you go you got uh dustin rose on the side i thought like all three of their, their comedic timing was perfect like they all played off each other like really well and like also like this just shows how good the rock is he, he put even like, in like a comedy segment he put over the importance of the undisputed champion shit like he was saying like how like it's more important than like you, me, like everything. This is like the the number one thing in the company that that everybody wants. Like, and like that was like I, I was surprised that like he could fit that in in like such like a goofy segment. Like he could he could still put over the importance of the undisputed championship. 
Yeah, what, what do you think about it, Chris? Yeah, I thought it was great. This was this is a segment I've probably seen more than any other thing on this show. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 always something. I, it's always one that I found hilarious. And to Chad's point, like for Rock to sort of flip from the comedy to putting over the title, and obviously still alluding to that tension from Booker T because they were still they were about a little less than a year removed from their SummerSlam match, so mm-hmm. there was still a little bit of that tension there. Um, while still kind of endorsing him as a babyface and saying, "Hey, look, we don't see eye to eye, but when the time comes, you guys are going to, um, you know, handle the NWO or whatever," which didn't happen for for reasons for reasons that, well, because Kevin Nash blood is me. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I thought it was a fun segment. It didn't take up too much time. Um, obviously, Booker and Goldust had done the skits. Uh, I think four weeks before this, where they were just they had just started to build them up. And they had great comedic timing there, so it was just more of the same there, and just adding the rock to it uh, made this for a very memorable segment. Yeah, and, and Martin, uh, pro- probably one of the more memorable things, or like of course, like Ch- like Chad and Chris said, like he put over the undisputed championship and sort of talking about the the comedic stuff. And he was t- he told Booker T, even, even though they had they their, their serious moment, he was like he was like me and you probably will never see eye to eye. And then he looked at Gold that he was like, I know me and you won't see eye to eye. <laughs> and, was, and, then, and, then, and then he told him he was like, Gold does kept rubbing rubbing his uh rubbing his torso. And he was like, he was like, why why do you keep doing that? He was like, pull your shirt down. He was like, no, he, he kept telling him, keep, keep your shirt down. He was like, he's like, matter of fact, take the shirt off. He was like, why you got on my shirt? And then Gold does was about to take it off. Rock said, hold on, wait, no, never mind. Keep it on. I don't want to see what you got in there. It was like he was like, like, did you pay for that shirt? He's like, Yeah, good. <laughs> make sure he got that merch money. Yeah, yeah then that about sick it. freak. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Like, like Martin. Uh, so, so then when you look back on this segment, so what are your thoughts about it? Uh, you know, a, a, as we touched on the, the 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 comedic sense of it, but also having that serious aspect with Rock and Booker T. Oh, because well, any promo that or sort of backstage skit, no matter what he's given, Rock always turns his stuff into gold, don't he? And especially since I don't think he was due actually to come back for a while mm. but obviously because of the austin situation they had to race him back in you know to get keep people interested in the king of the ring and, and WWE tv but yeah he always he's always brilliant with this stuff isn't he um, but it wouldn't be the last uh, time we saw rock tonight but before that we had the king of the ring final and i mean this was even shorter than the women's match wasn't it i mean rvd mm. sort of like flopped around a bit until lesnar caught him coming off the ropes hitting f5 won the tournament king of the ring no fanfare, no ceremony, just King of the Ring. Big rock. <laughs> what, what was the, what was the match was time of that? That, that, that? I feel like that match is like under five uh, minutes. It, it happens. It, it, it went like, I feel yeah, they like, like wrench the finish. It, 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 was, it was five minutes, 43 seconds. That, I was surprised. Oh. Like, especially because like, like we alluded to earlier, RVD wasn't selling anything like right. coming into the match. Like it would have made mm. a lot more sense if he's like hunched over or like, like you said, like Chris said, like had his ribs taped up. Or something that explains why Lesnar like put him away like that quickly. Yeah, they did do an uh, interesting false finish, which kind of alludes back to why I thought like the Heyman uh, interfering in the test match was kind of like unnecessary. They did a spot here where I think Van Dam hit the five star frog splash, and he did his usual selling, and he got up, and then Heyman got on the apron, and like close like hung him over on the ropes and it led to a near fall. That was probably outside of the finish, the most memorable spot in the match. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, but outside of that, yeah, it was it was short. It was fine for what they did, but um, it would have been a little better if Robin Van Dam kind of sold it and really uh, put over like the injuries that he had suffered in the post match attack. And I don't know, not much to say out of outside of that. It was just sort of Brock won. There wasn't like a. It would have been hard to kind of do the king gimmick with him, uh, anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brock Lesnar wearing so, a cape, king, yeah, king and, Brock, and, man. And a crown and a scepter. Yeah, so, that, 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 so it kind of makes sense why they for forewent the the sort of the fanfare that goes with that. But, um, but yeah, obviously the right guy won. They kind of did like that little sequence there. Kind of did a little bit to protect him, but like it, like I like this more than because they did a match next month for the IC title and it was kind of the usual well we can't have either of them lose so let's just you know book a DQ on a show where people are paying $50 so. yeah and, and and then Brock went on to as we all know he went to win the undisputed championship from the rock at that SummerSlam pay-per-view the crowd popped big for that uh if I, if I remember correctly I was and I think it was more so because they knew Rock was leaving but um but but, but more so um Getting into this this Brock RBD dynamic, uh, Chad and Chris, I'm gonna I'm ask you guys. Chad, I'm gonna go to you first, and I'm gonna kick it over to you, Chris. Like, so I, when I was looking into this match, I had found um, an interview, and we're circling back to the uh, to, to 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 the torch uh, for for this uh, for, former WWE writer uh, Seth Mates. He got interviewed by Wade Keller, and he said that the plan in place, like even before the King of the Ring happened, when when they were getting the brand split, like sort of long term ideas for the brand split. The idea was to always have Brock be the WWE champion. And when they brought back the big gold world heavyweight title, RBD, the tentative plan was for him to be the representative for that for that championship title. And he was just like, uh, it, like it was just interesting because, you know, Brock ended up facing RBD in the finals of this tourney. So it kind of, you know, so, sort of syncs up what maybe they're thinking about. Or, or, yeah, or may, yeah, maybe what they thought about RBD. And uh, Chad, Seth has said, Seth Mates has said that if things didn't work out with the plan, uh, <laughs> he said the mindset of, of, of the writing team. And, and of course, you know, he didn't say Vince McMahon, but that's, you know, makes the final decisions. He said they would just do a unification match at uh, with, with RBD and Brock with the big goal versus the undisputed uh, at, at WrestleMania and just pretend the big goal thing never happened. What? <laughs> never wow. Wow. Yeah, I think that also speaks to, I guess, I guess what we talked about earlier, like the politics of Triple H, that it goes from RVD like t- being scheduled to have the under- have the World Heavyweight title to Triple H just getting handed the World Heavyweight title and then basically burying RVD in one of his first feuds after winning it. So oh, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. yeah. So Triple H must have done some uh, political maneuvering in the few months <laughs> they came yeah. with his plans. Yeah, he was he was determined to make sure, like, ah, this ain't happening. <laughs> he's like, he's like, are you sure you want RBD? He lost a block right. in five minutes. In fact, <laughs> in fact, in fact, I mean, we'll get to the main. I guess we'll get to the main event in a second after this. Like, it you could argue that it started here. Like, it started earnestly with how he was how he protected in that with that finish and that entire match more or less but yeah it's kind of wild to hear that you know they had plans to sort of go with rvd and for them to just sort of go ah let's just let's just hand it to triple h and we'll just have like some heatless matches before survivor series well not heatless matches just bad like bad storylines i think just define that entire reign outside before he lost to john michaels because you had the stuff with rvd which was just a means to turn rick flair heel and then you had 
Scott like Steiner. Oh, Jeez, yeah, that was that disaster. was Kyle. Oh yeah. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> The, 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 the Steiner stuff was terrible, man. But like yeah, uh, the Steiner stuff and like, and then the stuff with Goldberg after that and Booker T promo. Yeah, oh, Booker the, T the stuff worst. Just, <laughs> yeah, awful, it, it, just yeah, awful stuff. Yeah, it was ridiculous. And uh, of course, like while we're on the topic of uh, tri- well, well, just oh, one quick thing before that, uh, uh, before we uh, before, before we move on, like Seth has said that the idea that they like they they, they wanted to go fresh new guys for their uh for that world title uh the, the the world title and the undisputed title and they already they, they they was already locked in on brock brock was like without question was going to be their guy and it's it seemed like from the way he was wording it like they were already deciding on rvd but then I, i'm assuming like I, I you can only one can only assume <laughs> that trip that triple h swooped in and and and, and sort of you know got, got things changed but uh Ch- chad you had something to add yeah, it's just like at the end of uh, the match when Lesnar was celebrating, there's a giant Jimmy John sign in the crowd <laughs> behind <laughs> Lesnar. So I was like, I found that funny. So, 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 so of course, we saw uh, Martin, we saw Triple H in the next segment as he ran into ran into some old friends. Oh, yeah, the New World Order, the uh, sort of WWE version of New World Order. Is this after Kevin Nash has uh, done his quadding, oh. just walking down to the ring and then Shawn Michaels is here, X Pac, big show, and They've done this for a couple of months, I think, with uh, Triple H, you know, teasing that, you know, he's going to rejoin his friends or maybe, you know, they were going to get involved. But this whole NWO thing really didn't work out that well in WWE at all, did it? Mm -mm. Like, it's, I I just didn't think it fit. And like big, big show, big, I was like, why, why the hell is big show right there? Like it was just like he just stuck out like a sword. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. everybody else, everybody else throwing up the two sweet and big show just there with his arm crossed. I'm like, like, come on, man. Like, what are you doing? But like, uh, so, so sort of like not, not, not diving too far into the topic, but I'm I'm just like curious about uh about you guys' thoughts. And I'm uh I'm gonna, I'm gonna come to you, Chris. Like, if if you're Triple H, do you even want to go back to NXT 2.0? Like, like, do you like? Do you even like what the, I'm like, seeing? I'm like, I, I would probably be like, hey, well, you've got a good handle on it. I mean, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I'm all right. Yeah, there um, you go, Sean. That's it. Thank you. He talked Sean Michaels into moving from Texas to Florida, and now he's going to be like, "Yep, yeah, you, you keep it. I'm moving. Yeah, uh, I'm exactly. moving away now, mate." <laughs> like, 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 Chad. Um, he, he, I mean, essentially, what he. You, you you can only assume that what AEW is doing right now is what Triple H wanted to do on a mm-hmm. bigger scale, but he was relegated to you know full sale. Like I, I'm looking at it from a perspective, like man, he this this dude like tried to like build like this super independent promotion, like the best wrestling. And, and at one point, NXT did have one of the top talent rosters. But like looking at it now and like seeing how his his vision is like completely or his idea for what NXT is is like completely different like do like uh, m- m- much like the same question i asked chris like do you even like if you were him would you even want to go go back or would you just like you know it, it's whatever at this point i think it's i think it's out of his hands <laughs> again for sure direction <laughs> NXT 2.0 I, I don't think it i don't think it's a show that he would make like like you said i think like what AEW's doing is more in line with what mm. Triple H's vision of wrestling is. Also, maybe just like a little bit more like darker, I guess, just like lighting wise, because like NXT yeah. 2.0 is all bright. And then right. 
I thought I thought NXT was getting like too dark. I thought like it made it didn't make like especially because it's such a small arena that it didn't make like the atmosphere of the shows like kind of feel off. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, I, I think I think NXT two I don't I don't know like what Triple H's input is going to be going forward and how we see that reflected on screen or if this is just like all oh, now like a Vince McMahon project. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Martin, uh, uh, of course, Triple H was in the next match, the Undisputed Championship with The Undertaker. Uh, I got to say, great video package. Great video package, Martin. Oh, yeah. Well, if that's all you can say about the match, I think that's <laughs> the uh, I mean, these two have faced off numerous times, haven't they? But this match was, I mean, it was just a mess, weren't it? I don't know if the crowd yeah. was just, cause the crowd knew The Rock was there, so they were expected yeah. to run out. They weren't really into the match real then the schmaltz with Earl Hebner and stuff. And it was just a, a mess of a match, you know, Paul Heyman's out there and it's just, yeah, he nothing seems to get going. Paul yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Heyman was like, yeah, Heyman, he was part. Heyman was great. Like Heyman was, when Heyman came out and was like, I think he was on commentary for like two or three minutes. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so much better. I've been listening to Lawler all show. And it's like, this is a million times better than what I've had to listen to for this entire show. <laughs> He's just like, putting over Brock the entire time too, and then like Lawler's like, "Are you gonna talk about the match? You're talking about uh, Brock Lesnar." He's like, "He's like, okay, uh, he's like Triple H and Undertaker who are going to who one of the two is gonna face Brock Lesnar at some reason. Just bringing back the Lesnar." Uh, yeah, it was it was it was great. To be fair to Heyman, and to be fair to uh, the fa- the audience, Triple H and Undertaker did not give these fans any reason. Oh, to, no. to, to react. It was just punching. It was almost like they were the match. The her fast match was just stalling until Rock came out. Yeah, before the ref bump, because everything before that was just punches and kicks, and maybe a little punches and kicks outside. It was just, it was just nothing action until until the with the ref bump and the double clothesline, and then Rock came out. Um, and that's the other thing about Heyman's commentary too. It it became abundantly clear that they were setting up Lesnar and Rock for SummerSlam because. Mm-hmm. Because it's all like this stuff where he was talking about, oh, Brock, uh, Brock, Les- Brock Lesnar went to Rock's locker room and he tucked his tail and he went down the people's highway and the people's limo and whatever. And then Rock came back out and chased, blamed, chased Heyman out. Um, so they were obviously pl- planting the seeds, if not for SummerSlam, for at some point in the near future uh, for that Brock versus Rock match. But yeah, but Heyman was really good on commentary. And I mean, there's not much to say outside of that. It was just... It was just boring action, and then it was just sort of the attitude era style ref bump and stuff, and then it was just sort of more some of the same main event style stuff that you would see in the attitude era, where it's just uh, the ref would be down for like ten to fifteen minutes. It was almost oh, like the ref was match. egregious. Hemner was egregious in this match. How slow! <laughs> yep, it was. Work. It was. It was a ref bump. Nick Patrick came out, and then he counted the near fall, and then Taker took him out, and it was just more of the same. Uh, stuff that the, it was similar to the WrestleMania match where the ref was out for like what felt like 35 minutes, except the action was worse, mm. more or less. It was just, it was just they were going through the motions until, and, the, until the finish, and the finish and wasn't Ch- even that good. It was, and, Ch- and I was gonna say, Chad, like, what, what do you think about the uh, sort of the like the the, the, the post match stuff where? You know, one guy came in, attacked the other one, other one attacked the other one, the other attacked, and, and it all eventually ended with Undertaker being up. So I think everybody came in uh, involving Rock, uh, H, and, and Taker. All of them came in and they hit their respective finishes on one another, and then ultimately it all ended with Undertaker uh, 
uh, the, the the one leaving on top. Like, what, what, what do you sort of think about that? And could could you kind of like much like Chris said, could you kind of see the writing on the wall for for uh, for Rock and, and Brock at uh, at SummerSlam or, or not SummerSlam at some point later down the line? Oh yeah, definitely. As Chris like uh, mentioned, like Heyman was talking about like the Rock, like like mostly in, in that when he was on commentary, he seemed to be like the focal point for Brock Lesnar was the Rock. So you could definitely see they were playing the seats for that. And I thought it was interesting, like the post match stuff, because I was like, "Who's gonna come out on top here? <laughs> Who wants to mm. to be the person that ends the pay per view?" Because then you had the Rock, uh, you had take it with like the people's elbow. I'm like, "Oh, they're gonna end the pay per view with like the Rock standing tall and like send the crowd home happy." And then Triple H comes back and pedigrees in. I was like, "Oh, it's Triple H gonna be like, I- I'll take the loss here, but I'm I'm still right. gonna do the pay per view <laughs> on top." <laughs> but then Taker hits them with the choke stamp. Yeah, I was like, oh, "Okay." They they went with the champion, which I guess is like rightfully logical. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I will say about with the low blow. <laughs> yeah. It was a low blow and he rolled him up and hooked the tights. It was a very it was a very sort of meh finish. And uh, Hemder took triple- thirty seconds to count the three yeah, <laughs> on that, the roll. That was that was the slowest three count <laughs> in the world. Yeah, I was watching that finish and just watching everything that led up to it just made me go, man, they are doing everything in their power to just make sure Triple H looks as strong as he possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> he had the axe that, chair shot it, where he blades very obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He hits the rock hits him with the chair by accident. I think he hit the pedigree twice. And I think the second time it had like the they just had another one of the Hebner slow counts or whatever that led to a near fall. Um, so he hit the pedigree twice, and then Taker doesn't even beat him with this finisher. He just blow blows him in and rolls him up or whatever. And then he just he hits the pedigree on Rock after. And it's just I get it if Triple H is going to be a babyface going forward because like all right, he's losing. You got to do something to sort of maintain his heat and his credibility, or whatever. He turned heel like a month and a half later, didn't he? So it's like mm. why why bother if he's just going to turn heel anyway? Like he's exactly. having moves. So when we look at like these Triple H matches, man, like you, you start you saw this be a pattern of like how he looks post match, like even with the SummerSlam Shawn Michaels thing. But I, I, I'll try I'll try to give them uh, some type of leeway with that because I, I I remember even Bruce Pritchard saying the reason they did that because they weren't sure if Shawn was going to be like full time coming back. So like they just like hey, so look, we're gonna give you the win, but you know we got to go with the guy that's gonna be here the next day. So I try to give him a little bit of leeway on that. But you when you look at a lot of Triple H matches, man, like he is always the one to come out on top again at, at the end, whether it be a win or lose, like in some situations. Like even with if we go back to that horrible uh Scott Scott uh, uh Steiner feud, that 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 I remember they had the match at the Rumble uh 03. And I and I, I if I remember correctly, I remember Steiner choked him out with the Steiner recliner and like he was bleeding. All types of stuff, and uh, yeah, Triple H ended up retaining the title, and then he ended up beating him the next month at the next pay per view, clean. Or oh, he cheated to win, uh, that that match. But yeah, it's like it's like with these Triple H matches, you start to see like a certain pattern, especially during this time period, the two thousand two to two thousand three. Yeah. Uh, cl- yeah. Cl- clear, clearly, Triple H is like, uh, I'm I'm getting over whether somebody like it or not. Yeah. Well, yeah, and the, and the issue he had, he smashed through all the baby faces, so he virtually had yeah. no one to take on, didn't he? Until mm-hmm. the whole Goldberg thing the year after, didn't he? And even that, they they waited on pay per view too long to put the title yeah. on Goldberg. Yeah, because 
Yeah, because they did the chamber match where Goldberg ran through literally everybody and Triple H. Come on, this was Triple when Triple H, I believe, had that uh, that groin injury and he was wearing those biker shorts. Yeah, he should have taken um, time off, <laughs> theoretically. Yeah. And he hit the only movie hit in that match was literally him hitting Goldberg with the uh, with the sledgehammer. And then they did the post match stuff after mm-hmm. uh, after he retained. And it was just like this is when he should have won the title. And then he did the he finally dropped it unforgiven and just like the heat wasn't there because. It was a month too late, and then it didn't matter because you just won the belt back anyway. Yeah, I was about to say he won the shit back, like <laughs> yeah, he won it back like in a few months. Yeah, this isn't like particularly this time period between like 2002 and when he eventually lost to Batista. It, I just, it's not a, a period uh, where Triple H is. This was like the period where like he he had evolution, and it was very clear that he was trying to be Ric Flair, and it's just like. He forgot the part where you actually put the baby faces over <laughs> as a heel, um, because like the only baby, real baby face he put over around that time was Batista when he lost. Outside of that, yeah. he Randy Orton won the title. He uh, he just put the kibosh on that. He just killed his baby face heat immediately. He won that shit back too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like, um, there's a reason they call it Triple H's Reign of Terror, isn't it? Because yeah, that yeah, whole yeah. time period, yeah, yeah, it's just him opening up Raw with those like half-hour segments and just stinking up every arena. But it was, it is worth noting that there was a cracking uh, main event match when um, The Rock did win the title before going into SummerSlam. That's oh, the yeah. way that oh, yeah. Vengeance. Talked about oh, yeah, as good. much. Vengeance. Yeah, that was good. Kurt Angle and yeah, Undertaker. That's a brilliant match. That one. Yeah, that 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 that, that was really good. I, I remember that yeah. match fondly. Do you think, because like we, we talked about like the match being, this match being uh, like kind of boring, like a punch kick fest and like a, a bunch of ref bumps. Do you think like this is kind of like the end of that like attitude era style, like main event match? Because like earlier in the attitude era, like a match like that, they had like a lot of crowd heat involved in it. But like toward, now you're into 2002 and like the crowd's kind of sitting on their hands for for this type of match. Well, I think a big part of what made a lot of those matches work is that they had Steve Austin in them. Um, <laughs> Steve Austin or The Rock. Yeah. Because, because the SummerSlam match with Brock was really good, and it kind of had that sort of attitude era template where, like, I think uh, there was, like, a rock, he rock bottom Heyman through a table, an announcer's table or whatever. So it kind of still had, you still had those attitude era sort of remnants in terms of how the main events were formatted. And there wasn't really much of a, it was more of a sea change on SmackDown than Raw for obvious reasons, but like I think the tide had started to turn a little bit after SummerSlam in terms of how a lot of these matches are formatted. Just for no other reason than uh, the, the performers were different, and the performers had different uh, different skill sets. Mm. And, and then um, I, I think like what two two thousand like maybe a few months after this, uh, Triple H ended up beating RVD. For the world title, he he retained the world title of RVD at the I think it was like Unforgiven or something. Yeah, like it was that. Unforgiven. Yeah. It was yeah. the match where um because they had done they were teasing a storyline where Triple H was calling Ric Flair like old and washed and everything, and Flair turned on RVD. It was mm. I remember that match being kind of just there. It was kind of mediocre, but that's kind of what Triple H was kind of doing. Like aside from his Shawn Michaels matches and um like a couple of other matches, they were it was pretty much middling stuff. Yeah, so follow that up with Katie Vick. <laughs> oh, my goodness. After. oh my goodness. Yes, yeah, that was one of the things I didn't bring up. That was in 2002. I think that's what most people remember from 2002. Yeah, I remember. Around that, 
Kane was over, like like really, really. He over. was. He was. Baby he face. was. And that just that just another baby face just done in by Triple H and and bad creative. Yeah, they. I, you you want to know what's funny, man? Like when you look at WWE, like they they're like a like just a a a revolving door of like the same type of like ideologies and just like belief within the system like they they do like the same stuff like so some of the same things that you see back here like as all uh three of you have like talked about just now like they they're still doing some of those exact same things to this day like when a talent is like organically over it's like no 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 we didn't we didn't ask for that we didn't ask for him or we didn't ask for her you got to cheer for the person we want so we're going to have that person beat the person that you like and that's how that's how we're going to get that person like it they, they always do this like weird weird dynamic and like chris just said i I remembered some of the reactions that kane was getting during that time period that 2000 2003 he legitimately was over and like i I remember there was even a case for i know a lot of people were like like even like some i see people like so to go back and reflect on uh this time period on on social media like a lot of people were just like how did kane not get a world title run like during this period because he was like he was over as hell like 2003 more so and they were pushing him hard well, yes. hard. They were pushing him out to be hard because there was a, a point where he was the IC champion. I think he was the tag champions with yeah, Hurricane. Champion, I remember yep. the yeah, I remember the TLC match they had on TV. Well, he had because they had done an angle with Hurricane, but I still remember the TLC match being pretty good. But he he won it, it by himself, right? Yeah, he won the match by himself mm-hmm. um, against makeshift teams um, right. because that's just what WWE <laughs> <laughs> did in two thousand and two to now, but. Yeah, it was it was around the time where you could make a very strong argument that he was the top babyface on the brand at that time. When they kind of, when they really needed when they really needed it because on the other show SmackDown they were really cooking with the SmackDown Six and obviously they had Lesnar as champion and they had that great feud with the Undertaker. He had that great feud with the Undertaker, and Raw was just kind of it was just kind of listless and they just kind of had the short matches and the Triple H stuff and Kane was sort of a breath of fresh air on those programs until they did the storyline that they did so yeah the, the, the triple h ran a terry and d because i remember he uh he he went I, 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 Shawn michaels won the title at the survivor series right yeah and then he lost the next month at triple h and then two out three falls match but uh kicking it back over to you martin like when, when you look back on this show if you had to sort of give it a rating uh out of, out of 10 well what, what, what would you rank it at I don't know. It was um, it was a lot of nostalgia for me going back and watching watching the show because I haven't watched it, you know, since watching it live on the night, and and I certainly really enjoyed that opener. And yeah, I wouldn't give it too high a rating. I'd say about um, a two and a half to three as a as a show overall. The way you know we had some fun skits with the Rock and then a, a fun opener and some decent stuff and a, a fun trip down memory lane. But it's not a show I'd, I'd you know run back and uh, and watch you know in a couple of months time. I don't think. What about you? What about you guys? Um, I'm probably the same boat as you, Martin. I probably, I can't go higher than three. Like it's, there weren't a lot of good matches on this show outside of the opener. Um, all the matches had some sort of outside of the opener had some sort of weird finish. Um, had some sort of weird sort of. It was either cheating from the heel or it was some sort of other interference finish that just sort of it just sort of it gets repetitive after a while and the main event wasn't particularly good and even like doing the stuff with the rock didn't really do much to save it um so it's one of those shows where if you kind of just want to go back and see whoa 
Oh, my, my, my bad, Chris. Chris, I ain't mean to cut you off, bro. Like, but I don't know if y'all saw this just now, but this is from Ring of Honor. Like, this, 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 this I, I literally oh, yeah, just saw this. I'm, I'm sent here with the system. Bro, I'm, I'm looking at this, bro. They, they, they said throughout the pandemic, our top priority was to keep everyone healthy and safe. And despite not producing any live events over 18 months, we were able to keep everyone fully contracted. Uh, we now find ourselves at a time where we need to make changes to our business operations and, and our planning to pivot for Ring of Honor uh, with a new mission and strategy. This year will culminate with a final battle in December, and we will be taking the first quarter of 2022 to work uh, internally to reimagine ROH. ROH is the most dedicated fans in the industry, and we appreciate their loyalty and patience as we reconceptualize re- ROH. We anticipate returning to live events in April for a Super Card of Honor with a new fan-focused product and provide a unique experience for wrestling fans so bro that that literally sounds like everybody is gone from roh until what it's april like once once oh, final battle wow. is over you're right i wonder if they're gonna allow them to work the, the, yeah allow them because yeah. you would assume that you know i mean d- 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 looking at ring of honor's track record like you, you would think that they would allow no people. andrew no no one's contracts getting renewed oh that's oh, yeah, it yeah. Oh, yeah, you're Nobody's right. contract for ROH is getting renewed, so wow. it's wide so, open now. Wow. Damn. We can finally get that Brian Danielson, Josh, Jonathan Gresham match that everybody's been waiting for. Bro, the, the, see, the thing about that is, man, like, but it, it's going to be so many people. Like, and dude, Trisha Dora just got signed, bro. Like, oh, that's yeah, true. They just, they, just made some, they just made some good signings and were really build, starting to build I wonder women's official. What's going to happen with this contract, Sam? Are they going to honor honor them yeah, decide or what yeah i i think i think they're gonna keep like people like through the end of the year then once final battles over then that's that's it until you know they say they're coming back in in april for super card of honor but you know anything can happen between then and now but damn that, that that's kind of rough bro like I, you see the thing about ring of honor i never understood why sinclair never like fully got behind them as a product like it's like sinclair was just like oh yeah we just had this like wrestling wrestling shit on our channel on our, or under our yeah, it's basically like, it's basically cheap. It was always just cheap programming for them to put on yeah. the weekends. But they put they put the shit on at like what, like two a.m. in the morning. It's in some places uh, here. It's well, they have like three Sinclair channels here, and they usually mm-hmm. the main airing is usually Saturdays at ten mm-hmm. where I live. So, yeah, so sometimes I would see the Ring of Honor channel like going at like six in the morning, Ring of Honor TV, and I'm like, what, what type of like positioning is that but like that's a that that, that, that that's that that's rough man because like like y'all just said they made some good signings recently man and i was hoping for like you know o'shea Edwards to get signed by ring of honor but like it ain't look like that's happening yeah so it's, it's, it's so, and, and then when you got when, when you got so many people under contract it's like but not, not even under people many people under the contract it's just like so many good talents under contract it's just like the, the, the first thing that comes to hit that comes to the mind is like oh what's going to happen with the Jay Lethals, the Jonathan Greshams, the 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 women's division they were just building up. Uh, you know, who, who you could Bandito, uh, Ray Horace. I'm mean, not yeah, not that yeah, tape uh, library yeah, as well. Who's gonna pick yeah. that up? Oh my goodness. That'd be a big too? thing for AEW wow. to get, wouldn't it? That I, ROH tape library. I wonder I, if WWE might pick that up too, if it's up for grabs. I don't know if they if they would be in the market to picking that, but they but they, they try to pick up like every other like wrestling company's video library, it seems for the network. But I don't know if that's the case with Peacock anymore. Mm. Man, that's like that's point, actually, Chad. Yeah, it'll be but that's but that's rough for Ring of Honor, man. Because like now yeah. I, I'm like they they've done 
the right thing throughout the pandemic. Like they paid mm-hmm. everybody yeah. on time. Like you really heard, so. yeah, surprisingly. So you've heard like a lot of people, um, you know, come out and you know uh, a lot of times that work for Ring of Honor. But e- even the people who were, were stuck overseas during the pandemic that weren't able to uh, get into the states, like a session Mark Martina, Joe Hendry, uh, Mark Haskins, they've all like up- openly said that Ring of Honor continuously paid them their regular salary during the pandemic, make sure they were paid. Like, damn, like they, you know, you, you, you know, you can only wish that, you know, things probably turned out better than that, but like, damn, that, that's, that, that's rough, bro. And like you, 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 they, they, they say they coming back in April, bro, but you don't know what, you know you what I'm know. saying? I, like, people might, I think the, the top of the card might be gone. Like, yeah, exactly. I think, that, that, like, you think thing. about like Evandito, uh, Jonathan Gresham, Patricia Dora, like they might Roosh. sign with yeah, Roosh, they might sign with like AEW, WWE, Impact, and, but it might and, be gone. And I, I think Roosh was already thinking about maybe leaving because his contract is up in January and he was doing interviews about he was just like he's open to field another office and like and, and like I I I love Jonathan Gresham and Ring of Honor. I really do, but they are if they think that he if 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 he's gonna be a free agent when final battle is over. There is no way in hell that he's going to be a free agent in April. It's it's no, it's not going to be a big like, war for him. But uh, I, I I'm very I'm I'm like ninety four percent positive that Tony Khan is going to scoop Jonathan Gresham. Like it, it's not even a question. Like if you if you would get him in your in in, in your division and in, in your in your uh on your talent roster, like that's a that's a big get because he's legitimately on a hell of a run right now. Like making a case for one of the best wrestlers in the world without question. So. Yeah, like, like I think both of y'all just made a fair point, man. Like the the, the top of the car might be gone when they come back. So, like, is it? It like I I, I I'm not gonna go as far as to say like bring about us. I don't think that's the case, but it, it's gonna be rough, man, to draw in when you got half of your talents uh gonna be free agents at the, at the end of your biggest pay per view. It didn't. It ain't no telling what's gonna happen after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it'll, it's gonna yeah. be an uphill battle if if they come back in april and a lot of those guys are gone and it 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 sucks for for the promotion because it's one less place for people to work in a general sense and and they had made some significant inroads because there was a period where they had just they had hit a real rough patch after like cody and the elite left and they didn't yeah any plans after that and they really sort of hung their hat on them staying and they went and they started AEW and they just really didn't have anything to sort of uh, because they used to be so good at when someone would leave they would have someone ready to sort of step up and and fill that main event void but it just wasn't there for a while and it took a while for them to sort of get get things going again and it kind of felt like they were picking up a little more momentum these last few months since they restarted and i mean that's it's a tough blow yeah and and it's confirmed and they they uh they they released everybody from their contract so wow that is wow because Ring of Honor is like, like as you alluded to, like this is one of like what like three or four places in wrestling where you can make a full time living in yeah. one promotion. Yeah. Too. So this is just like turning a lot of people's lives like upside down, basically. That you just lose that source of income, like it pretty like out of the blue too. Damn, Brad, that, but that 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 is not good. GCW for... going to be the third biggest promotion in but, the US. It, 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 I think it already yeah. was. I think, yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 think, I think it already was, Chad. man. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, Chad, that's a good point. But like, bring up, but this is not good for wrestling, bro, at all. Yeah. Like it's oh, it's, right. it's 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 not good not for wrestling, bro. Like that's that that that's rough, man. And you you can't like we I know we you know we talking about like the 
you know, the um, you know, the possibilities of of who might pop up where, but like it, it, it it's rough for these people, man. It's, especially for uh, you can even because you got to consider some of the talents that were overseas that weren't able to get into the states. Bernie, like I know uh, what session Mars Martinez? She had like two matches or three matches with Ring of Honor before the pandemic yeah. uh, shut down. Same with Mark could, Haskins yeah, as well. Yep, we didn't ever same. get that many matches. Yeah, exactly, man. And, and even um, even Adam Brooks, who was in over in Australia, dude got signed to Ring of Honor. I only I think he had like one match, or I don't think he wow. had any matches before the shutdown wow. happened. So like it's um. Yeah, man, that, that that that's rough for Ring of Honor to do, and that's that. I feel bad for a lot of people involved, uh, including staff, people that work backstage. Like mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. That, that's rough, man. Because as, as we all know, like Ring of and it's Ring of Honor is like it has a. You you can go back and look at their catalog, man, and the amount of people who are like top top stars now went through Ring of Honor. So like it's it, it, it's sad to see them sort of. Pre- presumably go down like like this and i i, I hope they bounce back i really do but yeah d- d- just the just the way that they yep. phrasing it man it, it like i i think the the first quarter of 2022 is like more, more so of a thing like they're saying we hope to be back by then but you you right. you, you, you can't you can't call it bro yeah it's definitely it's definitely a wait and see and it's it, interesting that though i've never had any sort of like breaking news on the show before but yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that, was, yeah, yeah. that was that yeah. was some. Yeah, awesome. oh yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, it's been great having um Chris and Chad on with uh, me and you, Andrew. And uh, Chad, where can uh, people check out more of your uh, writing and stuff? Yeah, you can check me out at the Wrestling State, and I also host a podcast uh, called Subject to Change. That's at Sub to Change on Twitter and Instagram. So check that out. Excellent. And what about you, Chris? Uh, you can find me over at Daily DDT, where I actually uh, am a co-editor along with Rafael Garcia. You can find most of my wrestling stuff there. Uh, you can find my Bulls and Wizards stuff over at Hoops Heaven. Excellent. And, uh, and uh, Andrew, have you got any uh, interviews or anything coming up this next month? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be putting out an a, a interview. I'm going to try to get it out uh, sometime this week uh, with, with MLW's Alex Kane. Uh, so I'm gonna put that up, and then uh, yeah, they, everybody can follow me on Twitter, ad Thompson underscore underscore, and check out uh, the written work at posts. And uh, yeah, that, that's about it for me. Yeah, and uh, me and Benno will be back um, the second Thursday of November, and then me and Andrew will be back this time next month. And yeah. thanks everyone for listening. And uh, of course, all Rose lead to postwrestling dot com. Some check out all the other shows and the written work and all the great stuff that's going on there. And thanks for listening, and we will catch you again next month.